0: Hey, welcome to the 278th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony and this is the podcast about random things in a world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. And uh, happy holidays if for whatever you celebrate, if you're celebrating anything. Big shout-out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment. I us- usually do comic books, like old classic cool comics that I love. I've been doing movies lately lately. Just because I don't know what what comic story arc I want to revisit. Uh, this last week I did Pearl from September twenty twenty two, so that's a, the prequel to X, which I, I did talk about X on a regular podcast, but I never got around to Pearl. And before that, what did I talk about? I, I talked about uh, the first Avatar since a uh, second Avatar came out. And uh, this week, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a long one this week. It's it's gonna be another movie uh, that I that I love. And um, we'll just leave it at that. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash G Man from Heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. And that is ko fi.com slash G Man from Heck. So, yeah, so if you want more podcasts, Something a little more focused because oh, I've I've also I should mention I've done uh, you know off, off my minds where I just talk about a, a random topic you know for for, for a bit so I may, may do more of those as well as far as this week so we are wrapping up end of the year you know I say it every year or I I don't say it I, I say it to myself I was like oh I should do like a best of you know the stuff that I really loved this this whole year and I never get around to organizing it. Because I, I, not that I'm lazy, but it's it, it just doesn't happen, so it's not going to happen this year. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll talk about what see, I'm trying to think when next week. I mean, I can tell right now. Favorite sh- TV show Severance. I, I started watching it again, but I don't. I have no time to, to watch anything. So um, I did start watching Reacher. I, I, I watched I watched five episodes. When when did was it uh, Thursday night? I just, I hit, was kind of caught up on on stuff. Well, for for the week, I still have I still have more His Dark Materials to watch, and and I have uh, this week's uh, National Treasure, which I I, I think is the last one in the screener that I have available. But um, I liked Reacher, and I I don't like that Amazon dropped all eight episodes at once. So that's why that's the main reason why I didn't talk about it when it came out. So I, I have to finish that. Um, but but this week um, I finally watched Spirited with Will Ferrell and and Ryan Reynolds. So I'm, I'll talk just briefly about that. You know, I know it's been out for a little while and it's been out in the. Th- I think it was released in the theaters like November, like November, like Veterans Day or something like that. So I finally got around to watching it because of the holidays and and because I I love Ryan Reynolds. So you can just hear briefly a- about that. The main feature is Glass Onion, which I wanted to see that in the theater, but. I don't think my local theater had it, which is surprisingly because they've had other stuff. And you know, I saw Red Notice, Red Red the, uh, the other Ryan Reynolds and and uh, Dwayne Johnson and Gal Gadot movie. That was a Netflix movie that was in in the theaters for a week. So you can hear about Glass Onion, uh, uh, Knives Out mystery. I think that's the full title. And then there's uh, I mentioned uh, his dark material. I'm going to do two episodes this week. So I know I'm, I'm super behind on that. I'm, I'm just going to do my best with, with that. And, uh, national treasure. I mentioned doom patrol and, uh, that's it. Then as far as news and comics, see with news, uh, there's some, some information about black Panther two came out. So Ryan, Ryan Coogler mentioned like his, his ideas. If, uh, if Chadwick Boseman would have still been with us, it it sounds like he would have had a kid. So it's it's not is this spoilers no? I mean not really, but they they would have had him dealing with a kid. I th- I think they they said that like the working title was like Summer Vacation or something like that. So it's basically uh, Black you know T'Challa and his his son, who's like older. I forgot how old he he, he was. And, and then, like, this big adventure crisis happens. And it, it might have still been Namor, because I think Namor was always part of the plan. And it's basically Black Panther with his son, you know, at his side, you know, trying to protect his son and trying to, you know, save the, the day and everything like that. I guess there also would have been some issues of, like, him losing time. That the fact that with the blip and everything, that his his son, he didn't even know who his dad was. And I, I think it even, was it Nakia? That he, i forgot who, who i don't even know but his uh his wife like remarried a dude you know haitian dude and so it's like um is is that marriage still happen is it i don't know so it's too bad so we, we have that information about that um we'll see what's going to happen uh James Cameron has been talking uh, about a lot a lot of different things and one of the things he says is that uh, another Terminator movie could still happen. I, I guess there's been some discussion about about relaunching or, or not necessarily relaunching but you know getting the franchise going again. nothing's been decided and you know whether he'd be involved or not or how how much he, he'd be involved. I'm sure you know they're going to want to try to keep him involved or he would insist on it. But he he said that he would rather make it more about the AI side rather than just like killer robots attacking. You know, just try to mix it up a little bit. And I, I guess, you know, you you learn from, you know, whatever what went wrong with the last one. I mean, I I don't think I hated it. Uh, I, I you know I only watched it the one time in the theater, but so, well I don't I don't know. Um, there's a, a lot of there, there's not there's not a lot of news, but there is a, a lot of like Warner Brothers stuff. So apparently, the trailer for the Flash is going to be during the big game during the Super Bowl. And uh, what's interesting with with just all the stuff going on about it, apparently, oh because uh, well I'll get to that. The, apparently there was a cameo. With Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot, that is being cut out. I guess they're they're just gonna not not use it, which is kind of interesting because you know we, we still don't know what what where, what's going to happen. You know, we have the Flash, and we have Shazam two, and we have Aquaman two that still need to come out. So we know that DC is basically like rebooting, you know, starting over. And, and you know, if they, they want this 10 year plan, it's good to have a fresh start and just to try to lock in these actors for, you know, 10 years and, and, and so forth. But that makes you wonder, well, what does that mean for somebody, these actors that are, that are, are so Like, what does this mean for the flash? Is this going to be the last time we see Ezra Miller as the flash? Cause you know, they're, they're still promoting movie and I'm sure they're, they're going to be very careful with what they say. They they probably don't want to be like yeah we're gonna replace the flash but hey please you know pay to go see this movie so we we can make some money off of it it's the same thing with uh, Shazam i Zachary Zachary Levi right he he said that he's like hey you know nothing's been said you know people are, are making all these assumptions and stuff like that he's like I'm I'm still the guy as far as I know and you know we're we're still gonna go with this so it's it's interesting. The the thing about that, it, part of it is it's like why why can't we I, I get what they're doing, but if we can have a Joker two movie still, why can't we still have like a Man of Steel two and you know and then have this this new Superman movie as as well you know we had the Batman which was going you know totally separate from Ben Affleck or you know the Snyder or whatever stuff, so it just seems like you you, you could still do that but. I, I I honestly think that the main reason is because of the Snyder army. I really think not all of the Snyder fans, but I, I think you know you got those really toxic fans that are just so out there, just so you know, just so vocal. You know, they're they're not even I wouldn't even say their majority, but they're they're just so and, and, and it's like it's just tox the tox, tox toxicity, the toxicness, they're just so so nasty. And I feel like they and they, they this must be the case because you know there, there's been rumors that, or words that apparently they regret doing the Snyder cut that you know they they kind of wish that they they didn't do that they didn't quote unquote give in or whatever because that just added fuel to the fire and I, I feel like if if we got another Man of Steel that there's just gonna be like Zack Snyder Zack Snyder blah, 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 all this stuff like that even if they just totally like r- cut all ties from the previous and just you know, just use Henry Cavill but recast everyone, every single one else, people are still gonna, you know, talk about restore the Snyderverse and, and all this. Which is still silly that you know you you call it the Snyderverse and, and you know you, you look at the Marvel movies and you know Joss Whedon played a big role in, with Avengers and everything like that. No one ever called it the Whedonverse. And I'm, I'm trying to think who else was, was heavily, you know, no one called it the Sam Jackson verse, you know, having Nick Fury and everything. So it's just, it's weird that, that they just referred to it as a Snyder verse. I don't know. but So I, I, I really feel like it's it's the fans that are, are causing, like, yeah, so, let's, sorry, Henry Cavill, we're not going to use you. Sorry, Gal Gadot, Gadot. We're, we're not going to go with, the, you know, and and she, I don't think she's been officially, you know, she's she said that she's done, or been let go or whatever. So, I I, I don't know. We'll we'll have to just see what's going to happen. But apparently Henry Cavill was paid two hundred and fifty thousand for for that cameo. So he's getting paid even though it was cut. And apparently that's like rumors. That's what he got paid for his uh, Black Adam cameo. So it's like five hundred thousand dollars for you know how how long a work and in, even if he you know it doesn't get used he's still getting paid so I'm sure he, he's fine it's just it's weird that for you know a little while he was he was back you know he's he was Superman and you know he was the witcher and then he like left the witcher and then he loses Superman it's like what what's going on? because I I read some rumors and total rumors it's like you know why? Why did Henry Cavill leave The Witcher? What was the, the reason for that? Because I don't think I don't know. I mean, unless I totally missed it, I don't remember seeing any specific reason as to why he left. And I don't think he left it because he thought he was potentially going to be doing more Superman. Because I think that was before any anything was was discussed. But there there is a rumor that he was kind of pushed out of it or like forced out of it. And part of it was, was his, his behavior on on set. I don't think it was necessarily like sexual misconduct or anything like that. I just think that he was, or the the rumor was saying more that he was just being kind of like pushy, like 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 rewriting lines and stuff like that. Like doing things at at the last minute, like when the camera's rolling or whatever, like going against what the showrunner, you know, showrunner has a final say and he was just like, making his own judgment calls and like doing things behind the back and total rumor i mean i I don't know he could be the nicest guy in the world i have absolutely no idea but it's just weird that for a while he you know had these two big franchises he was witcher and and superman now he's got nothing although what just did count come out uh at late last week or whatever early this week is that amazon did confirm that there will be a Warhammer 40,000 with, with with him in there. Cause before it's, it's like, well, you know, nothing's been confirmed. That makes me wonder, you know, was that totally fast tracked after like the word came out about no Superman? Or was that something that was in the works for a while? And then it's like, okay, we, you know, got all the paperwork signed so we can officially, you know, acknowledge it now. So I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's, it's weird that we, we don't know. And, uh, I guess it's official. No Black Adam, two in in the the plans for the next chapter to DC. It's, it and people are, are having fit now. The thing is, I'm sorry. I I, I love Dwayne Johnson. I love Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson movies. I did not love Black Adam. I mean i I don't think Dwayne Johnson was good for the role. I I I feel like it was just Dwayne Johnson in the movie. I I don't feel like. Uh, he didn't really sell me as black adam you know it, it just it just didn't feel like you know when, when i when i think of black adam i don't think Dwayne johnson and you know it's it's nothing not not a dig or anything against Dwayne johnson it's just that it, it feels like he, it was just another Dwayne johnson movie and you know it had some cool action and all that but it just i don't know and it, it just it makes sense again that if they're going a new direction they want to do this but then all these people are are throwing a fit they're saying this or that and um you know J- james gunn had had commented about that like especially with like the, the henry cavill backlash and everything like that he would basically say how was you know it was expected and you know no one likes to be harassed or call names and you know but they said that you know they've, they've been through worse and everything but one thing that was interesting that he says like you know disrespectful outcry will never ever affect our actions so i i think that's great so you know you can whine and complain and name out but that but like I, I keep saying we have no say in it we we speak with with our dollar we can complain online saying oh this sucks this stinks but to, to, you know, hashtag fire James Gunn or what, you know, people are like trying to get that going. That's just so stupid. It's like you, you do not have that right. It does not matter how many Superman comics or merchandise or lunchboxes or whatever you have paid. You do not own any anything of that. You want to speak, you don't go to the movie. You know, just, you, that's the only way you can do it. But to try to do like a witch hunt against someone, that's just, that's just not cool. So, uh, I don't know. It and the the thing is, people just need to wait and see what what's going to happen. You know, and I I've seen like it's a, a couple people that apparently I'm friends with on on Facebook, and they're like like oh you know we just need to not not go to see this. This is a mistake. You know, Black Adam was so good. I said like, no, it wasn't. I'm sorry. It w- was not a great movie. I you know it's it's on HBO Max now. I have zero interest in watching it again. W- with like. The Suicide Squad, which is not a great movie, but I saw it in the theater because I wanted to support in the theater. I watched it again at home the same day, you know, the same you know, or the next day on HBO Max. So it was like a day and day release, whatever. And and I it was entertaining because you know it had some a lot of great actors and and the action and the scenes and you know it was it perfect no, but it, I was super entertained. So I just I don't understand people just. It it's it's almost like a feeling of entitlement, and I think part of it is like just a social media aspect, you know. So they they feel like that they can at reply James Gunn that they, they have that right. It's like no, you don't have that right. And it, you know, it used to be just even a bit ago, it's like you'd be lucky if you can get the email of a you know public relations person dealing with someone, you know, to, to try to get, but but now. Yeah, if you at-reply James Gunn, what are the chances he's going to see it? You know, he probably gets so many replies that he's not going to see everything. But he he does occasionally, re- re- you know, reply to certain things. And, and he he calls stuff out. You know, he says it like it is. And, you know, it's just... I just don't understand people. They, there's, like, no etiquette. It's like you, you do not... You don't talk to people like that in real... I mean, maybe they talk to people like that in real life. I doubt it. But it's just... You just don't do that. I mean, did your mama teach you to, to talk like that? I mean, uh, I, I don't know. It just it seemed crazy. Oh, and then uh, another thing that was was interesting about Black Adam and and, and Dwayne Johnson when the Flash was filming. Apparently, uh, they contacted Dwayne Johnson's uh, production company, Seven Bucks or something like that, and they politely declined or to ha- for there to be to, to take part in a black adam cameo. So they're like uh no thanks we don't want to want to do this. So what are you too good to do it. Now you're probably probably uh kicking yourself cuz would that have been a $250,000 or whatever paycheck even if it got cut. So I don't know. oh We'll have to see, but it's just crazy. Uh, Adam Driver. So he, Adam Driver has a movie coming out this week on Netflix, I believe. Uh, that might be the movie feature, maybe not. It might be Babylon because that that's out in theater, which I, I totally missed that that was coming out last week. But I, it's just it's probably good that I didn't go see it just to try to keep up with everything. But his movie 65, it's moving back a week. It was supposed to come out on March uh, 16. No, March 10th. So it's coming to March 10th. They're moving it to March 17th. And it's not really specified why. It might be because it was supposed to go up against Scream 6. So maybe they're like, yeah, let's push it back a week. Now it's going up against Shazam. And while I'm intrigued with the idea of Adam Driver, you know, in this future movie and an ending, you know, spaceship crashing on 65 million years ago with dinosaurs. I, I think I'd have to choose Shazam over that if if I'm gonna choose one movie for the for the podcast. I mean, if there's not something the following week, then you know I'd I'd go back and and pick it up. But if if I'm choosing between Shazam and sixty five, I think all of you listening, you, all of you awesome listeners, I think you would prefer me to talk about Shazam than six. May I could be wrong. Uh, you know, just let let me know before that we you know, we have till March. If if you'd rather me do sixty five, maybe I'll do that first. Maybe. I don't, I don't know we'll see uh speaking of scream six there was a, a teaser that was released and it's it's kind of interesting because it, it it's in New York you see uh, Jenna Ortega and and her friends other people they're like in a subway in New York and then there's a I think it's like Halloween and then there's ghostface you know on the subway and that's the thing that would suck about this is that you have this like actual killer in this world and then you have people that are actually dressing up as 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 that person, which seems disturbing that you would actually dress up as a, as a real life killer. Because you know, I don't. I mean, I'm sure people dressed up as Jeffrey Dahmer, especially after the Netflix documentary. But it, that just makes it freakier because you see someone dressed up. Could that be another action someone trying to? Carry on the legacy. Why are these killings still happening so many, you know, movies later? Or is it just someone just dressing up because they think it's cool? So, and and just the idea of being New York City, where there's, you know, rather being a small town where you know, even if you you try going across town and hiding in the back of a supermarket or at a friend's, you know, bedroom, you feel like the killer's going to find you. Versus if you're running around New York City, it just feels like a lot harder. But also, you never know where they're going to pop up. And if, if the killer, you assume they're going to be also walking around without their costume, it's going to be a lot easier for them to walk around New York City and keep tabs on you, versus in a small town where you'd be like, wait, why is this person following me when I've never seen them before? And they, they keep popping up everywhere in this small town. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see what's, what's going to happen with, with, with that. And then... Uh, oh, a couple of things. Mary Elizabeth Winstead has a role in Ahsoka. I, I saw one thing, like I think this is, I didn't click it or back then, but it's like she's she possibly playing a fan favorite character. So it's like, oh, who could it be? And then I, I, I just read right before that the rumor is that she is going to be playing Hera Sandala. So if you watch Star Wars Rebel you know who who that is which um i i like mary elizabeth winstead her as hera uh, i don't know well we'll see i'm i'm sure if this is true and if she was cast i'm sure there's a specific reason you know they 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 know what they're doing so we'll see um i i'd be okay with that i guess i don't because i i if you were to ask me who should they cast if they're going to do like a live action hera i couldn't tell you anyone And, you know, I always say just get someone who kind of looks the role, looks the role of a green CG, you know, whatever, animated character. Or just, you know, someone who can act and is going to just, you know, bring the character to life. So maybe that's uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. We'll we'll find out. And then I believe the last bit of news is there's going to be another Purge movie. After the last one, which I, I did enjoy it for, for what it was. And even though I had a kind of like weird experience, not really weird experience, silly experience when I left the theater, I'm like, what's going on? It was kind of freaky, but they're making another purge movie. It felt like that was the, it, that was it. That was the end. But there's purge. I think it's six and Frank Greel. He's coming back as his character. So which, which makes me, cause I think he wasn't, I think he was in purge two and three. I could be totally wrong because I don't think I watched the movies in order, but I, I think the movies haven't gone in order because I think some of them kind of took place in the future a little bit, like a few years because there was like the senator, I think it was Juliet from Lost. I, I forget her name. I think she and Frank Greel were, were together, but I think that that was supposed to be like I think those to be like 2023 or something like that, or it was it, you know, it was ahead. A, a and then we had the first Purge, which went back. And then I don't even know when this last one took place. I have no idea. I I need, I need a timeline. It's almost like the Conjuring movies; how they're taking place like all over the place. But some people like the Purge movie, so I'm um, I, I I will definitely go see it. <laughs> so okay, you got me, <laughs> and and that's gonna be it for the news this week. Alright, with comic books at Image, there was Deadliest Bouquet, issue 5 of 5. So this is the, the comic that was by Erica Schultz and uh, Car- Carola Borelli, I-, I believe, did the, the art. And it was about these uh, three sisters. You know, their, their mother was killed, and and then we find out that their mother kind of, like, trained them to be, to be, like, fighters, and you know, there's, like, all this stuff, and and it was, so it's like, you know, what, what, who, who killed her? Like, what, what's going on? And uh, it, it's, there's like this big mystery, and, and we're, we're getting like more and more information. Now, with this being the last issue, we, we do get answers. We, we find out like who, you know, what, what happened to her mom? Why was she killed? Who killed her? What the heck is, what, what, what's happening? And I, 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 I don't know I feel like it kind of was rushed it felt rushed because then all of a sudden you see it it's like oh the, what, the, what really and then it's just like boom 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 bam 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 that's it see you later and it's like wow <laughs> that was you know and like time jump okay that's it see you later <laughs> so uh, it, it was an interesting story and and it kind of made me want to see more like why, you know more about these, these sisters you know why did they go through all this why did your mom do all this stuff and and i part of me felt like was there like some previous comic with with these characters I just didn't know about you know like so yeah it was it, it was just kind of weird but that that's it it's it's over so um so it, it was it was worth worth reading uh you know I, I was intrigued by it but the end like i said i i i'm still processing the the end like the the conclusion it's a, like the verdict or whatever so it's like okay uh, there was a Department of Truth uh, Wild Fiction special that those had reprint. You know, some of the, like the, the Bigfoot stuff or whatever. So you can t- check that out. I Hate Fairyland issue two came out. Um, I I was you know a big fan of the original uh, the first I Hate Fairyland. Now that the, the gert is older and the story is happening and trying to get her to go back where you know she absolutely doesn't want to, but she kind of doesn't really have, you know, what other things going for her. And, uh, so she's going to start making her way, way there through different means. You know, how the heck she, how is she going to choose to go there? You know, it was was a different thing because with the original, in case you didn't know, she was a little kid, this portal opens up. She's like, Hey, little kid, you want to go to fairyland? And of course the little kid's like, sure. She gets trapped there for like 40 years, but like stuck in a kid's body. And, uh, and then she's just completely miserable and and violent and vulgar and and so I'm the idea of her going back as an adult it was going to be really interesting and and what I, I one of the things that I do like is you know the second issue and she's not fully back there you know she's in the process now um, just kind of a kind of a detour we'll just just call it that. And, and I, I love that it's just not like, boom, she's there right away, you know, and, and just let, let it play out. This was a thing with, uh, not, what was it? Was it Twitch, Scotty Young's last series, where I felt like because that was five issues, that, that it kind of had to go at a faster pace. I don't want it to go at a fast pace. And, and I, I totally get the nature of writing the stories, you know, getting it in a, a collectible size so you can, you know, release a trade paperback and sell that. I totally get all that. But I, I like I'm you know, I'm I'm here for the for the long long run, the long game whatever. So I'm I'm totally down with exploring the story as it as it comes out. And you know, I don't need it to all happen all at once. So I, I'm I'm okay with that. Then we have Junkyard Joe issue three. So Junkyard Joe was this robot that fought with some dudes during Vietnam and then you know years later this one of the dudes in the squad he he, he became like a cartoonist and wrote like kind of like a beetle bailey but like uh, you know a comic about junkyard joe and everything he's old you know, he's retired you know he stopped doing the comic strip and then the robot shows up on his doorstep and he's like what are you doing here and you know he's like i didn't even think i wasn't sure if you were real if i just you know dreamed it all or whatever and and then there's also this family that moved across the street. You know, this uh, the mother died recently, and there's two daughters and a son. So they moved from, like, San Francisco to Indiana, of all places. It's it's almost almost as bad as, as going to Iowa, I guess, you know, with the, the cold winters and, and all that. And uh, there's a, a thing about, like, shoveling the driveway that comes up. But the, one of the daughters is an artist, and the dad's like, like oh, there's that, you know, that he's that cartoonist guy and, and he's just really pushy. It's like, you don't, if if you notice that your neighbor is like, it's any sort of celebrity or whatsoever. Yeah. You, you gotta, you gotta play it right. You can't just, you know, cause when they're moving in, they're like, Hey, how you doing? And, you know, it's like, you gotta respect the privacy and figure out, you know, get it, a uh, 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 check the temperature to water. Is that what I'm trying to say? I don't know why whenever I try coming up with these like analogies or these phrases I, I always drop the ball see there's one I got that one right I never get them and then it's like after the, the mics turned off and I'm like that's what I meant to say or when I'm editing it, it was, it's even worse I'm like Tony what are you saying that's, it's... so we see stuff with like and the kids having to go to new school and and uh, it's I don't know what's going to happen with this robot uh, with Junkyard Joe and, and yeah so we have to see about that Then there is Rogue Son Issue Nine, and I I'm intrigued with this series. So you know we had the superhero, he died. This this kid finds out his long lost you know his deadbeat dad was the superhero, but then he you know so his dad left him and his mom when he was little. But then he finds out that the dad had like actually remarried and had a couple other kids and lived in this like big mansion. So he's like, wait, what what's going on? So now he's kind of being the superhero but he's kind of a jerk and everything and and, and that's what sets him you know, sets him apart from like you know your Peter Parker or even like your you know invincible you know where he he's not necessarily he's he's a good kid but he's kind of a jerk. So we'll see that and then his uh, step siblings, especially the little brother. I don't know if you can trust him. I don't. Know, he can't really. He, he can't really trust his stepsister. But there's some some stuff going on. And uh, oh, oh, when he had the power in the beginning, he could talk to like the spirit of, of his dad. And uh, but then he's like, okay, I'm done with you. And but then his siblings are trying to bring their dad back, and it doesn't quite go as planned. I'll just say that. But I don't know, and then, then this this issue also, um, it was weird. He's he's like fighting some guy. He he ends kind of ends up losing, and then the, the guy's like, "You're gonna do this. You're gonna go and, and get this item for me and give it to me." And and it's just like, wait, why is he gonna do this? But then then he, I feel like I kind of miss him. Maybe I did miss something. But then he he says the kid's name, Dylan. So it's like he threatens him and his his family. You know, if he doesn't do it. But it's like he didn't lead with that. So. I, I don't know, and we'll see what what he's gonna do from from there. Um, then there is a vanish number four. So this is a Donnie Cates, a Ryan Stegman. I. I feel like I should go back and read issue one. Cause I, I kind of don't really know what's going on. You know, we're, we're introduced to this, this other world, like this parallel world, whatever, where there's like magic and there's like the, all these kids being trained in magic. And then they are like kind of forced to go in this fight They're fighting for someone, but it's like, who are they're fighting for? Maybe that was kind of questionable if they're being used and all that. So now there's like a few of these magic people, like in the real world. And, you know they're just like doing their own thing but it's like i don't really know like who's good and who's bad because i believe vanish is actually a villain and then we got some guys and he's like the, the main guy whatever he's complaining about you know having to fight and you know get beat up by these superheroes so it's like does that mean he's not a good guy and but then the the, the quote-unquote superheroes aren't aren't really good guys either i just love the art but it's like with the story it's like i'm not, not really sure so i feel like i just i totally miss something and and it, it feels like there's a lot going on in this world which is you know ambitious and, and cool and all, all that you know just setting up everything rather than just make it like two-dimensional but i almost feel like i just feel lost and i don't know then there is uh what's the furthest place from here issue nine yeah, I I really was a huge fan of, of this the series in the beginning. Uh, the last couple, like I, I think because I was like intrigued with the the characters that we saw in the beginning and you know then there was like, oh wait, where'd this one character go? And did I miss what happened to her? No the, the one girl? I, I must have missed that. I don't think I missed you know, forgot to read an issue. But here we see another kid that was like kinda in the same group, you know, they were in the, in the record store. So this is kinda like from before when they left. And, you know, there's a whole thing. It's this post-apocalyptic world. There's no adults. But it's like when you turn into adult, then you have to leave for some reason. You know, there's like these kind of ghastly, you know, figures, whatever, that are kind of overseeing things that kind of started all this happening. So I, I just, I'm really, you know curious about what's going on and you know what's the the, the ground rules and everything here so there, there's some cool stuff and the art is great and you know Matthew Rosenberg you know I, I dig his writing but it's I don't know I just I really was totally on board in the beginning and I still like it it's still like like oh this came out I'm going to read it you know it's going to be like one of the first ones I, I read during the week but it's just it's I don't love it as much I still do love it I just don't love it as much as I did if that makes any sense so I don't know um at boom studio i i'm so behind there's like something's killing the children 27 and it's it's been i need to get caught up on this and now it's it's to the point where it's like can i read this you know do i need to get caught up or can i jump in and then then try to get caught up but i i think the last one i read was like around 20 19 20 21 and now we're at 27 so I, I need to get. A, I really enjoyed the series and I do recommend it even though I haven't read uh, the past several months but it's good stuff alright at DC Comics there was Catwoman issue 50 and I ended up kind of skimming through this just because it, it was an issue 50 I didn't read it right away I kind of put, put it off to, to the end I figured it was going to be like an oversized anniversary issue whatever and it, it was I think it was like maybe like 40 pages or something like that so like double sized and uh, it's, you know, Catwoman fighting Punchline, you know, Batman shows up after, where, where's the, he, he fought Punchline and, and Ico, uh, you know, Ico and Punchline were, were fighting and, and Batman showed up. But it was, I don't know if it was an annual or something like that, but it's just a whole thing. I, I just, I don't buy Punchline as this crazy, you know, expert fighter that can go toe to toe with like everyone, and it's ridiculous. And, and then, spoiler uh, Catwoman ends up getting arrested. <laughs> and I don't know where they're going with that. But then there's a uh, Stargirl Lost Children ish too. I'm really enjoying this. Uh, I It's just I something the character, you know, I, I was never, I, I can't say I was like the biggest Stargirl fan because when she debuted, I somehow missed it. You know, I, I don't remember when or where it happened why i wasn't reading that or whatever but i just i just grown to love the character and you know it's also i in partly due to the, the the tv show but it's just it's just there's something just so appealing about this character she's just such a good and wholesome you know whatever character and this idea of these lost kids from the like the, the golden age, you know, heroes, you know, wh- where, where'd they all go? How come no one talks about them? And it's, it's just, you know, really, really cool to, to see this play out. And we got this mystery going on and, and it's, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. And then, you know, so Jeff Johns writing and then Todd Knox art, it's just, I, I, I just love this series. It's like one of my favorite things at DC right now. Then there's Nightwing issue 99. This, uh, big things happen here. You know, so we got the the fallout from the blockbuster, you know, that stuff. And then it turns out, uh, Tony Zuko comes to town. And, uh, you know, what is, what is that going to f- mean for Dick Grayson and his sister? Uh, cause, you know, she's, uh, she's, she's a Zuko, but she's not really a Zuko. She doesn't really consider herself a Zuko. You Whatever. So, um, there's some interesting things here, and and uh, it, it feels like they're really moving. Because now, what does this mean for for Bloodhaven? You know, they they take down the big big evil uh, crime lord. Of course, other people are going to want to come. And it it's like the the villains don't get it. It's like oh, this big powerful bad guy was taken down by the heroes. Maybe we should stay away. And they're like, nope, this opportunity. Because then they they want to go in there. And that's one of the things Tony Zuko, you know, he's out of jail for good behavior. You know, he gets some ideas like, well, maybe I can do something. And uh, and then there's just like more like other things are happening. And you know, I don't. I just want to spoil everything. But uh, it's, it's a really good series. Um, then we have the Flash, seven eighty nine. Uh, so. What's the mayor dude? What's I always forget his name. The dude that ran uh, the, the Black Iron whatever prison. He decides to put the rogues uh, as on in charge, like as as like law enforcement. Which is ridiculous. So he's kind of looking at it as like, oh, I'll do this prisoner exchange thing. And, you know, they'll get early time off if they decide to do good things. It's like, how can you even trust them? Because, you know, we, we saw them when as soon as they see the Flash, they're just like all over the place. And they're, they're treating a Flash like a villain. This is He's a member of the Justice League. I think that that has a little bit of clout. You know, maybe they're not officially government sanctioned or anything like that. But then just like, you know, trashing the place and, and not even making an announcement anywhere. It's like all of a sudden the, the rogues are on the street um, claiming to be the law, which I think you would make a press conference or something like that. And and it's I doubt that it's, it's the fact that like Wally never heard about it because between Wally and Linda, I, I think they would, would hear it. You know, someone would, would say something and be like, hey, uh, by the way. So we find out more, like what is going on with with the uh, what's his name, and uh, so we'll see where it's gonna go. Um, GCPD, the Blue Wall, issue three. This is a series that kind of makes you a little uncomfortable. You know, it, it's a it's it's more about the police force, and you know, we, we see like some some rookie cops in there. There's un part part like the uncomfortable part is there's one guy he's, uh, he's I think he's Puerto Rican. And he's getting a lot of, like, racial slurs and, and you know, it's people poking fun at him and stuff like that. But it's like, what can you do? You know, you're working with all these, these you know, buttheads that they think it's, whether, you know, they're being blatantly racist. And and they're they're cracking all, all these jokes, which is not okay, but, you know, he, he goes like HR and they're like, well, you know, because like someone put up a up like a picture on a bulletin board, and you know he has no idea who did it. So the HR person is like, "Well, you know, we have to, you know, everyone who had access to the bulletin board has to be, you know, questioned." And he's like, "Do you really want to go up against the entire, you know, police force and everything like that? Because it's not going to win him any favors and, and stuff like that." And he's kind of like, "You know, you just got to get used to it." But it's like, "Wait, so you're telling me just get over it? That that's not okay?" And and then um, then the, but the part that really bugs me is so Montoya, you know, she's commissioner. She really has this vendetta against Two Face, and I totally missed what Two Face did to her. I don't know when when or where that happened, but the fact that we have you know Two Face here, you know he, she's having him being like sur- under surveillance and stuff like that, even though he's not doing anything because obviously he knows he's being s- surveilled or whatever, and that just the fact that he's here. You know, he was recently in Task Force Z, and he was also in. Um, he was mentioning something else too, and it's just like I f- it's like why is Two Face everywhere, and and it's like what's going on here. So, but it, I'm I'm really digging the the police force angle uh, of the series, so it's it's worth checking out. Then there was a deceased War of the Undead Gods issue five. This it's just getting crazy they're just killing people left and right and and i i know that that's part of the the appeal or charm or whatever that fact that you can be so drastic and kill some major characters but it's almost like it's just too much getting getting killed and uh, i don't know so we'll we'll see and i you know i i liked deceased in the beginning but it just it feels like Not that it's esc. I mean, it kind of has escalated. You know, the the fact that we're affecting the new gods and dark side and everything like that. But and then it's like, okay, we're you know a bunch of heroes. You know, they figured they there's a cure. They can save people who have been changed into these zombies or whatever. Never mind the fact that when you go to try to fight the bad guys, you might get exposed to or might get converted, which happens to a major player, and that just. Creates a huge nightmare, so I don't know. And then DC versus Vampires All Out War. So uh, this is a the like black, white, and red story that for some reason I'm not as on board with this as as the main series. And you know there are some important parts here, like especially stuff with like like Mary Marvel and and, and Deathstroke and all that. But I don't know. Part part of it is just. It's just it's not quite working for me. You know, we got Constantine, we got Deadman. I mean, there there's a lot of cool characters that are, but it's just I don't know some, something about it's just not clicking with me. Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths issue seven, so this is the last issue, and uh, and if you know you look at the cover, it's like oh wait, why is a uh, Nightwing on, on a cover? You know, is he going to be the savior of the DC universe? And uh, maybe, um, and then there's just We'll see. So basically it's it's restoring the the infinite universes. So what is this going to mean? Are we going to see more is there going to be, you know, what what's the big impact and uh but the main thing is what does this mean for the heroes and, you know, what does this mean for the Justice League? Is there going to be a Justice League? You know, so some of these 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 things are are brought into question. And just the fact that, you know, you got these legacy heroes and you're looking at like, "Oh, all these kids, they really stepped up and and is this a way to kind of like push the the main heroes out of the spotlight? I, I don't know. So we'll see. But I just, the whole thing, um, it just felt like it was, you know, Deathstroke saying like, oh, my, my kids went through some horrible things. I don't want, you know, anyone else to have to go through that. So I'm just, let's just destroy the whole world so no one there's no opportunity for anyone to get hurt, which is just, no, that doesn't make sense. So you do your best to protect them. I don't know. <laughs> and then uh, Batman Superman World's Finest issue 10 so this uh, I don't know if I totally missed it but so you know we have this kid David who came from another world and you know he's he's got these powers and Superman's kind of taking him under his wing and everything like that and then he gets kidnapped by Joker and the Angle I think was that the, the, the guy um, and things you know don't don't go so, so great and everything and then at the end it's just like whoa wait what happens to this kid you know you see this kid like later and it's like was this always the case that I just totally was oblivious to this and I just missed it but it's, it's just I really enjoyed this I wasn't super crazy about this kid coming to town whatever and, and you know but there are some important things there the, the main thing you know Mark Wayne he's he tells a you know captivating story grabs your interest and in all that but Dan Mora I, I'm I'm gonna pr- just praise it at any chance I get. His his art is just so crisp and clean, and he's he's doing like tons of, of covers now, which is worrisome. I don't like that. I I mean he's got great art, and I I just I don't want him to become a cover artist. It's it's probably good for him, you know. I I you make more money selling cover art than you do interior pages, but I want him doing interior. And you know that this happens all the time, where these artists they they get start getting pulled, and you know because you can sell these, guys. and and this is a thing. Uh, uh, Mike Choi brought this up, and you know I didn't mention in news. There's a whole thing about the Anna the the, the Amras lawsuit about her being in the trailer for yesterday and then cut out. So a bunch of Anna Fans sued Universal saying is it was, it was false whatever you know like basically they made them think she was going to be in a movie so they went to see the movie and she wasn't there. It's like okay um, then and maybe like here's your your money back did you I, for like a 5 minute scene that's the whole reason you know you, you paid your your 12 bucks or 15 bucks or whatever. But that the same idea is what does this mean for comic books? You know, a lot of times you, you buy a comic and you're like, oh wow, look at this cover. You open it up and it's like totally different. And in some cases it, it's equally good, some cases it might be better, some cases it might not be better. And it's it's just it feels like it's deceptive when you're looking at all these comics on the shelves and then you know, that so if you see like Dan Moore really crisp and clean, awesome art and you open it up and it's like, like, what is this? You know, someone not as good. I don't know but I just I I love his interiors and um it's it's just it's it's so 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 good um Batman versus Robin issue four this has some really good art too this is Mah- Mahmud Asrar and Batman versus Damien you know there's all this magic stuff involved and you know Damien's been kind of manipulated and all that and um uh, someone might die that's all I'm gonna say about that I think that's saying too much. I shouldn't have said that, but it's it's too late. So uh, they're not playing any games there. Um, yeah, and and before you say oh Lazarus pit, oh no, Lazarus pit's like corrupted and it's like it's like acid, so you you can't do that. So uh, yeah, you got to figure stuff out. Legacy characters, what maybe? Uh, Avengers Forever at Marvel. Avengers Forever issue twelve. Oh my gosh, I just. I, I, I hate to say, it, it's I'm just not enjoying this this Avenger story. And it's it should be like, it's big, it's epic, all this big, crazy action and all this. But for me, it's just like character after character after character, you know, random version, random version. And it's just, like, what if this character, I don't know, is, is this like, kind of like, it's almost like the same thing with Spider-Verse. You know, we get all these different versions of the same character, I don't need or want that and and you know maybe this is going to result in like oh now we have more characters we can do more spin-off books and this and that and but i'm just i'm not not enjoying it i or i am not enjoying it i'm not i'm not not enjoying it i'm not enjoying it just let's be clear about that uh yeah so it's i'm just like skimming through it i i can't get through it but if you are enjoying it, I, I'm so glad because it it has like all the elements you know just big big crazy adventure and all this but it's just not working for me. Then we have dark web Ms Marvel issue one. I am not a fan of the, the dark web stuff. Uh, you know I'm, I'm not gonna tiptoe around that. I just I don't care for it. I didn't like Inferno. I, I didn't like when Madeline was, you know, and Sim or whatever, you know, all these things, inanimate objects being possessed and turned into demons. And it's just it's stupid. I just don't, don't care for that. And then we, we see Kamala. She takes an internship at Oscorp, of all places. And, you know, then she starts fighting, like, possessed things. At one point, there's, like, all these possessed toilets, like, coming at so I, I guess like every single toilet in the building has been possessed as like going after. But the, the other the thing that really, really bothers me aside from all that is Kamala is in her Ms. Marvel costume, with just like a, a jacket over it. Like maybe like a, a trench coat or something like that, but she's got like the big red tights or whatever. And, and you know, like the, the long flowing sash or whatever. And, and like the, and you, know, she got whatever the boots and, and, no one's. It's like I don't. I mean, you, you Kamala wearing a mask is is not gonna. That can't be the best secret identity. You know, when you look at it's like okay, you're you're a brown skinned hero, okay. Your hairstyle is a, is a certain way, and then and Kamala is like super into heroes and Avengers and all, all this, and Ms Marvel is like in it's and it's not like I don't think there's necessarily like a huge community in her neighborhood. I'm, I'm trying to think, is there anyone else that looks like Ms. Marvel looks like Kamala in, in her media area? It's like, it's gotta be so obvious, but then here she's, you know, she's working, she's interning with, with this dude who who's kind of like um, they, they met before and, and, you know, he asked her to go to a concert or something like that. And then they start getting attacked. And then, so she, goes ms marvel mode and then he's like ms marvel kamala's in there she needs to be saved never mind the fact is like wait ms marvel where did you come from and the, the fact that like oh wait you're the same height as kamala you got the same hairstyles kamala you're wearing the same out she was wearing that just really bothers me and it's suspension disbelief and all that but come on man i don't know and in gold goblin issue two i i just i'm I, I feel you know we had this opportunity to do something interesting with Norman Osborn and, and being Gold Goblin or whatever, but this is just another more dark web crap. And it's just the whole Ben Riley and even like Ben Riley in, in Ms. Marvel when he comes up to Kamala, he's like, "Oh, do you know my friend Peter?" And it's just, so you're, everyone, everyone doesn't know Peter Parker, Spider Man. You're just being so blase, practically telling everyone and. Oh, Gwenpool Omnibus came out. I may have ordered that. Even though I have like all the issues digitally. I just, I, I love an Omnibus. I love Gwenpool. I love, love Gary Hero's Gwenpool. So uh, I'll be getting that. <laughs> As by the time this goes live, I have it. Let's just say that. Uh, Mary Jane and Black Cat issue one. So this is more dark web <laughs> so basically black hat kind of goes to check on mary jane and her new family i still don't get who is this friggin' dude and these kids and why are they calling her mom when only like six months has passed why are they calling her mom and and to make it worse <laughs> You it's it's out gotta be out there. I even saw it like on Twitter, like trending on Twitter or somewhere like uh Mary Jane has like superpowers. What the heck is going on? Okay, I I can be okay with Mary Jane having superpowers. I'm not totally against it. I you know, part of me doesn't feel like she should because that's just like her character. It'd be the same thing like you know, Lois Lane shouldn't get superpowers because you know she's supposed to be the civilian and and you know she risks her life and you know the get the news stories and same thing with Mary Jane you know she's even like in the, the amazing me Mary Jane series which I really enjoyed she she carried her weight you know she didn't need superpowers and you know the fight against the sinister 6 that was going after her you know on the movie set and, and all all that but you're going to give her powers I I, I could be okay with that because I I feel like that's the main thing that's been separating her that's I think that's what's keeping her and Spider-Man apart because it's, it's and I, I know I must have said this before. I feel like, you know, Spider Man is like, okay, Mary Jane, well, I'll be back, you know, in time for dinner. Hopefully, I need to go, you know, fight crime. And then she just sits around the apartment, okay, see ya. Where, like with Black Cat, you know, Black Cat doesn't necessarily have superpowers, you know, whether she has her black bad luck powers or not, I, I keep losing track. But she can go out there and hold her own. And so. Peter and Spider Man can, you know, they they can like share that part of their life and, and you know adventures and stuff like that. Where with Mary Jane, it's just harder. And also, just because like Spider Man shouldn't be like, you know, being friendly with with Mary Jane. It's like, wait, Mary Jane, you know, you're talking to Spider Man so intimately. Aren't you dating Peter Parker? Wait, what? So having like a superhero secret identity could, you know, change things and all that. So she somehow has powers we don't know how or why it's it's not told to us and part of me wonders is like is this gonna be like a temporary thing where does this come from and uh i i so i'm i'm worth i i think it's worth checking out exploring but yeah there's there's still does she need them no but i i'm curious to see you know where, where that could go then we have uh, Sabretooth and Exiles Issue 2. I j I didn't as much as I wanted to read this, I couldn't because I hate Sabretooth. I can't stand it. I hate Sabretooth almost as much as Carnage. Not quite though. Carnage is big bag of crap. <laughs> but but Sabretooth, I just I can't get on board with, with Sabretooth. sabertooth you can't redeem Sabretooth. He is a complete scumbag. You know, he he kills and I don't need to root for a character like him and yes wolverine has killed two before but wolverine doesn't necessarily kill innocents like saber so and in spider-man the 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 lost hunt the, my problem with this so this is during when you know spider Man. i think he lost his powers right they moved to oregon this is after the, the clone stuff and um peter is just you know mary jane's pregnant peter is just like such a jerk and it's just it's so out of character for him it just it's like dude your your wife is you know is pregnant and you're being such an ass and and then there's stuff with a uh, oh what's his name um the I, not vladimir uh he's he's sad he's upset about what happened to craven how you know he was disgraced and he killed himself so he's going after spider-man and peter parker and it's just i'm not digging it I, which yeah it's, it's and it's crazy because it's jm de but i just i don't know don't know uh strange issue nine i am still enjoying it and just i you know i was never a big huge clea fan but I really I think she's such an awesome like, kick-butt character. As I love seeing her in the role of of Sorcerer Supreme. Now it's kind of revealed like, what happened to Doctor Strange. I don't like the fact that he's just being so blatant about it. And other people are like, oh, Doctor Strange, you're, I thought you were supposed to be dead. And it's just, it just seems like such a... I don't know. just seems seems weird. So we'll, we'll see where it's going to go. But I, I am curious about this... Uh, what is it cartel i totally forgot it what what it was um and then with this mrs magic division of shield that everyone like was forced to forget about so i'm curious about that wolverine issue 28 um i didn't care for (laughs) this beast is being such a piece of crap and he apparently when wolverine is being resurrected he interrupted a process before Wolverine got like his full memories downloaded into him and then he's using him as like a killer. Which is like totally like, wait, this is not how can anyone no one is going to be okay with this? And how does no one know that Beast is, is doing these totally sketchy things? And what the heck is Wolverine is going to be pissed when he finds out. Uh, he, he he's basically being used as a killing machine ah uh, man i just don't know and then x-men annual issue one i kind of like the, the, the cover I was, I was like oh look look at that it's i was like why is what's going on with gene but that's actually firestar firestar and cyclops on the cover and uh one of the annoying things you know Wonder on krakoa the hellions they start giving uh firestar a hard time from their like beef before they're, they they think that she turned her back on mutants because then she became an avenger and and whatever and now all of a sudden she's she's a on the big the main x-men team and you know she didn't earn it it's just like whatever you you guys are just pieces of crap you 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 went to emma frost's evil school and you haven't earned anything you know all you've done is just completely horrible things so why would you even be considered for the main role so there's just a yeah a lot of like questioning who firestar is and everything like that and her trying to prove herself and i'm not i'm not super crazy about her new costume (laughs) which is totally doesn't matter or anything but um, it has nothing to do with, with that part but we'll see I, I, I'm I curious to see how it's going to go with her being an X-Men I'm glad she is I don't like also that how they're making Firestar and Iceman like kind of being like friends and uh, someone mentioned I don't know if it was this issue where they're like oh where are they at they're like oh is Spider-Man in town or something like that it's like don't make a Spider-Man as amazing friends jokes that's been done so many times and it, it makes zero sense because they're not amazing friends that has nothing to do with Marvel Comics but that is going to be Marvel Comics for this week. Okay, His Dark Material, and I, I think I think I'm only going to do two episodes this week. I as as I keep mentioning, I I feel stressed. I need to watch more. I need to get caught up. I how many? Are, are four of them out now. Six? Are they all out now? Whatever. Th- episode. I, I'm enjoying the season. I'm I'm really, really digging it. Uh, I it's just it it kind of gets me a little. Um, restless just the whole idea of this coming war and the, the authority and just i i don't know if it's because of like sort of like the the biblical undertone i mean is it undertone if that's really what they're talking about just a questioning of everything and, and everything and everything and everything but it's james mcavoy i'm i'm loving that james mcavoy has such a bigger role in this because he wasn't i don't know if he just wasn't available or just whatever so anyways Episode, uh, season three, episode two, the break. We see Will, York, and Balthamos, the the angel, they're on a ship. Will thanks him for coming along because he knows he doesn't want to be there. And he says, you know, 400 years with Baruch must have mellowed him. Will asks if he knows where he is right now. And he's like, of course. So we see him like soaring and and almost like his invisible shimmery form. Balthamos says that angels can connect with any mind, uh, but between them, the bond is even stronger. So they they feel as one, though they are two. And he's like, he's close to Azrael now. And Baltimore says, you know what Azrael is going to ask of you? And Will says that his father told him about the war before he died. He told him he has a duty. Baltimore says that there is a warrior in Will. You know, he overpowered the king of of the bears. So he'll find a way to protect the ones he loves. Lyra is still sleeping. She's drugged. Mrs. Coulter is just like thinking. And then when the mechanical beetle thing that Father Gomez sent out flies in, like, kind of sees what's going on and then takes off. So, Gomez is going to find out where they're at. Lyra's dreaming again that she's lying on this like wooden dock. Roger calls her name. He sounds like older now. And he, he says that, you know, she has to help him. And she's like, I will. And she's like, I promise. And he says that they're hurting him, and she's like, "Who? Tell me where you are, and I'll find you." And he's like, "The land of the dead." And she turns around, kind of like sees it, like a shadow of form, like on just sh- you know, on the shore or whatever. She like runs down the dock, but it's it's actually I thought it was a dock, but it's more like like a wooden raft or something like that. And she's like in the middle of this like sea of mist or something like that. She screams his name as as she like floats away from the shore. Then Lyra wakes with a gasp. And she says Roger's name. She so she tells Pan that she was having a dream again, that they need to find him when they get out of there. And Pan's like, you know, where did he go? And he says that, you know, he couldn't follow her there, or whatever, I, I guess, in her dream or something like that. And she's like the land of the dead. So maybe I don't know, maybe demons, you know, souls can't go there. Ogunwe admires Azra set up his, his camper. He's, you know, there's a bunch of tents like on this cliff side. He introduces Ogunwe to Queen Ruta Skadi of the, the Lake Lubana Witch Clan and her demon Sergi. She's a vital member of his council. Azra says Ogunwe is well known and Ruta chose him or something like that. So Ogunwe's like, oh, really? So she says that she listens to whispers between worlds. They're building an army. He and his resistance soldiers are among the best. And then he asks Azra, how much more will they need? You know, soldiers, witches, whatever. Azra says that it's the authority's strength that lies in numbers. Sheer wealth of people willing to defend his mysticism and dogma. They just need enough to provoke him. And then Agunway asks, he's like, all of this is just a provocation? And Azra kind of chuckles. He's like, you'll see. So he tells Agunway that he doesn't know how many soldiers they'll need. The key is to provoking the authority lies not in men. It may well lie in dust. And a gunway tells Azrael that he talks in riddles, you know, he's he's used talking strategy. And Azrael says, well, to be clear, you know, they have to force the authority to show his face, and then they're going to need all the fighters that they can get their hands on. So then we see Mary Malone. She's just a scholar from St. Peter's College who worked in dark matter research, you know, that Elira went and visit her in, in the other world. I think it was in Will's world, right? So she's like out in the woods, she like takes notes as she's hiking along and she's using like, these sticks to guide her. Uh, she, so somehow she's like finding like open doorways, I think, and going into other worlds. She comes up to this like abandoned place with like some buildings and tents set up, or whatever she walks into And this one building, there's like two kids in there and she kind of startles them. They jump up one pulls out like a gun. She's like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's like, I didn't mean to scare you. And then, you know, one asks her what she wants. And she says, you know, she doesn't mean any, any harm. She's just, you know, looking for a girl, Lyra. So one of the girls is named Joseph, Joseph Blakely, or something like that. I mean, the closed caption kept saying her name is Joseph, okay? She asked, um, what she followed, because, you know, temple soldiers are in the woods, and Mary's like, I don't think so. The other, um, you know, she puts on her, her gun and says something you know, happened a few days ago, and now they're everywhere. And then you hear, like, a drone buzzing outside. They tell Mary to come with them, they go, like, they go through, like, I thought it was like a tunnel or something like that, but then they go to the other side. Maybe they just went through the building and they see like a drone flying flying by. Mrs. Colter is out in some woods and she comes across the beach girl and she there's just got a bunch of plants and stuff. Azrael goes over more plans. Uh, this little flying dude, his one of his, his, you know, soldier guys, his name's Roke. He flies in. So he has a message from their magisterium spy agent Salmakia. She says that they're preparing to undertake a search mission for his daughter. So they think that, that she's the most important child that's ever lived. Samakia believes that she's in danger. And Azra is like, when is Lyra not in danger? And he's like, anything else? And they're like, no. And he's like, very good. So Stella Maria says that he dismisses Lyra too easily. She says he knows that the mag- what the Magisterium believes about her. And Azra is like, according to the authority, Eve was the mother of creation. Lyra is simply the creation of Marissa and I. She is not Eve. She's a little girl. And Stella Maria says that she must have some information that they need or some skill that they've overlooked. He's like, other than being able to read the alethiometer, she has very little, I'm afraid, other than a nose for trouble. And Stella Maria roars, and he's like, What? He's like, what would you like me to say? And she's like, the truth. And Ruta comes in and says that there are angels above the camp. Azrael rushes out with his rifle, Gunway, you know, asks, What are they doing? And Azra says they're fighting, so there's like two of them just like going at each other. Then, um, then they come like crashing down, like both of them, and they like smash into the ground. There's like little tiny craters, you know, from where they land. Like maybe just like not even a foot deep. Several gather around them with rifles out or whatever. Azra warns them; he's like, "Not too close." So both angels are on the ground, and and one he says one fights for the authority and one fights for them, but which is which? A Gunway says uh, he's like, "I don't know," and you know he's like, "Maybe neither." Azrael asks Ruta, and she points to one and says that it's a of a higher status, so it could be an archangel. The other one, you know, she she doesn't know. A gunway suggests that they they move him. Azrael makes sure that they're being you know covered with rifles. The angel has like a smoking wound on his back. When Azrael touches him, it's Baruch, so he groans in pain. Azrael's like, "Are you an agent of the authority?" And he whispers, "He's like, please, there's a message I must give to you." And Azrael says that they'll assume the higher status one is is with the authority and this one's with them. Agunwe orders them to take the other one inside. And Azrael's like, take him to the intercision field chamber. And then he's like, Give me your message. And and Baruch is like, We found a boy, the bearer. And Azrael's like, What boy? What does he bear? And Baruch's like, The A A Sater, the the knife. I, I don't know how you say that. This it's, it's a AE letter whatever, the the god killer, the only weapon that will destroy him. And Azra's like, destroy who? The authority and his regent, my brother Enoch. Azra's like, the authority has a regent? This other angel comes up and and recognizes him. I forgot her name. Um, And she's like, how? Who did this? Baruch tells her it was an angel. Azra says that they've already incarcerated him. And she says that Baruch is is leaving them. Azra's like, not yet. He's like, tell me where I can find a boy. And Baruch says, he's on his way to Lyra. And he's like, Lyra? He's like, find him. There's an angel waiting by Balthal- Balthamos. He's like, find him. Find a knife. Balthamos. And then he like turns like smoke or dust or whatever, and he's gone. On the ship, Balthamos yells out his name. He's like, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. And Will's like, what doesn't? What did they do to him? And to Will, he's like, this is your fault. You forced me to come here. I wanted to stay together. I wanted to go with him. They've killed him. Father Gomez is reading his beetle thing returns. So he's going to find out where where Lyra's at. Agunway tells Ruta that he did not resist. He didn't say a word. So he's just stared at them. And you know, yesterday, he believed angels were merely symbols and witches were villain in children's stories. And she says that her kind has been to his world before. And he's like centuries ago. He's like the temple would burn women they suspected of witchcraft. And Root is like, I remember it. They they lived for many hundreds of years, angels for millennia. So it gives them a great perspective. They probably look at witches the way that the witches see humans. And he's like, and how is that? She says that their lives are short and easily extinguished. And he's like, then why do you fight with us? And she's like, hope. She believes that there is a chance that they can win. And he asks if she trusts Azrael, And she's like, I'd stick my life on it. So Azrael goes to the other angel, says that the chamber was designed so he could experiment with dust. It's lined with adamantine, which prevents dust from escaping. (laughs) At first I was like, adamantium? The angel, as with his his demon, is made entirely of dust, so he might find himself locked in there for an eternity. The angel's like, I am eternal. I have no concept of time. And Azrael's like, good for you. You'll be comfortable in there. So he starts asking questions. What is the authority so afraid of that he sent a couple angels to attack, you know, another? No answer. Azra says that perhaps he's afraid to admit that authority no longer rules the kingdom of heaven and has for some reason appointed a regent. You know, what's wrong that he won't rule or is it that he can't? And then he kind of pauses and chuckle. Oh, now that's interesting. Then he says that, you know, because, you know, when he's I guess Azrael's like starting to think about like, what could be going on. He says that dust is also... You know, fascinating. It, he goes to control panel. He he says that he spent most of his adult life trying to understand it. And once he killed an innocent young boy in order to harness it. But no one before this moment has ever tried to weaponize it. He hits a switch. The angel kind of like starts flickering. There's a big electric buzz. The angel's name is, is Al- Alarbus, I think. He starts grunting. And Azrael's like, Enoch, brother of Baruch. How did he become regent? And Al Albara says... Do not dare use that name. He is Metatron. And Azrael's like Metatron. He's like, good. He turns up the machine. Stell Maria tells him to stop. And and he actually you know, shuts it off. Azra's like, what does he want? And you know, the angel grunts. The end of this. Dust is not for you to understand. Conscious beings have become dangerously independent. So he will lead a permanent inquisition into every world on every being or something like that until they understand complete obedience. And with it, they will bring an end to the freedom of thought and will and control dust once and for all. And Hazard is like, well, how can I find him? And the angel says that the kingdom of heaven is not for him to enter. And he's like, you think you're significant? He does not even know your name. Were he to notice you, he could crush you and burn whatever remains. So is like, doesn't even know my name? He's like, so this mutation will require a little more coaxing? And then, will his kingdom come? And there's like no answer. He's like, good, very good. Wasn't so difficult, was it? It didn't even take an eternity. And he just like walks out of the room, leaving him in there. So then the girl, Joseph, tells Mary that Maddie... Or whatever that they've been there for like nine years or something like that, and so what? Or they just joined together? I don't know what it was. Cause I think they're sisters. Mary um, asks if they're all alone. and Maddie says that they have a life in the resistance. You know, they can read, write, and learn. All those things are forbidden by the temple, especially for. And Mary's like girls. So Mary asks, you know, what about their parents? Maddie says that their father stayed. You know, he's one of them. When they ran away, he helped them get out, but he wouldn't come. He, you know, he wanted them to join the temple. Mary asks, "You know, where is everyone else?" And Joseph says, "A stranger came and blew a hole in the sky, so it's probably Azrael." And then uh Commander Ogunway let everyone through it, so they they stayed because they didn't want to leave their father. Mary says that she should probably go, you know, a few more worlds probably, and you know she's following these sticks. You know, they're telling her where to go. And I've, I've heard what she, I I forget which they I think they mentioned the second season when you know she's talking to Lyra or whatever. So Maddie tells her, you know, why don't you stay for a bit? You know, who knows, you know, when you'll get a chance to rest. And, and she's like, tell us why you're looking for the girl. At first, when, when she's doing this, I was like, is this like a trap or something? But I, I guess it's not. McPhail's talking to some soldiers, and he's like, today we have been offered an opportunity, the opportunity to purge this world, to purge these worlds of all that has been ailing us. We are going to release the righteous from sin. And Father Gomez will lead you, and the authority will guide you in your sacred mission. Be swift, be brutal, but make no mistake. The girl, Eve, must not be allowed to escape. And we see a, you know, one of those little flying people is like listening from like a, like a crack in a wall. So that's Stalmachia. And McPhail's like, retrieve the child, retrieve the mother, and return them to me, dead or alive so will talks to Balthamos, says that he understands none of this matters compared to him Balthamos says that you know he doesn't know what else he's supposed to do Coulter and her monkey look out the window some more uh, then they exit the house and the the beach girl's like hiding and watching troops leave the big church building with gomez they go in these like big ships on land will tells york that he and Balthamos will take a closer look york um Cause he he attacks too much and or he draws too much uh, attention so he should stay there and keep watch he tells will not to underestimate her he's probably talking about Coulter so did they come across the beach girl um will and, and Baltimore and he's wills like I'm not gonna hurt you because she she can't speak and you know she's she's trying to sign whatever so will's like he he's looking for a girl on this island And she signs the girl and Baltimore appears behind him and Will tells him that he's like, you're going to scare her. And she signs a spirit and Baltimore, you know, he's, he's signing and he's like, yes, you know, angel. And he's like, and this is Will. And she says that her name is Ama. Baltimore tells Will her name. And he said, he's about to ask about Lyra. Is, is there a girl here? And she looks at Will and Will's like, I care about her a lot so she signs and Balthamos interprets for for Will you know there was was a girl here being kept asleep by a woman who claims to be her mother but no mother could possibly be so cruel and Will says this mother would so Balth- Balthamos asks he's like is that sunroot and she like nods he says it's a waking medicine and then you know the woman has gone but will be returning soon so she takes them and then uh, he tells her to stay by the window he he goes in. He see he sees Lyra, and then you hear, you see she's quite safe. So Mrs. Coulter is there somehow, even though she left. He's like, "How did you get here?" And she's like, "These chambers have secrets." Will says that you know she's not safe. She's like, "You're you're drugging her," and she's like, "Hmm, you've grown, Will." She like, she says she's always suspected that he was coming. She didn't think that he would be the first. It's it's impressive. And he had asked, "Why won't um, she let her leave?" and she invites him to sit. She offers him some tea. I would be like, "Um, are you going to just try to drug me with this tea? So he asks, you know, who else is coming? And she asks if he brought the knife. Can can she see it? So he asks again, he's like, why are you keeping her here? She says, because she's her mother and she loves her. Lyra is in the most appalling danger, and here she can keep her, her safe. He is like, what can be more dangerous than you? And she's like, how sad that you can't see the truth. You know, three times I have sent seen her in danger and three times I have tried to save her from it. It cost me everything. Now she's in danger again from the magisterium. So they intend to have her killed. They think she's Eve, the mother of all sin. They think that she will do great damage. So they are determined to murder her in an act of devotion unless they stop. Unless they stop our motion like that. And he's like, you know, even if that's true, why keep her asleep? And Mrs. Coulter's like, because she hates me, Will. If I woke her, she'd run. She already tried to run. He says, you know, explain explain it to her like she's explaining to him. And she's like, you know, she says that she would do anything for her just as his mother would. A child needs their mother. And then she's like, here's a trick they never tell you. Your mother needs you. That bond, it stretches, it transforms, but it never breaks. And she's like, help me. The three of us could be extraordinary. Your strength, my guile, my guile, uh, Lyra's bravery, and he's like, I'm not strong. And she's like, You are. She's like, I can see that. He asks if if she promises she's keeping her safe, and she says that she gives her word. And he says, Then he can leave her here. He can go to Azrael like he was supposed to. And she's like, No, 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 no. She's she needs him to stay. You know, she saw what he did at Carlos' house. You know, they could help each other. They could protect each other. So Carlos, I think, was the other dude. Um, I forget his name. The the guy with this little snake. Um, demon that, that took the lithiometer. So she needs them to stay. They could help each other. They could protect each other's vulnerabilities. They have to keep moving. You know They, they can't stay there. Um, so he must come with them. But Will says he gave his word to his father that as soon as he knew Lyra was safe, he'd go to Azrael to fight. And she's like, do you understand what you're doing? It's like, this is a betrayal bigger than any I have committed. If you abandon us now, you leave her for dead. He He just thanks her for all that she's doing for her. And she says that he's making a mistake. And she's um, she says to her monkey, she's like, "I thought he'd stay." So Azrael tells uh, that lady angel that they're going to find a knife and they're going to destroy Metatron. She says that um, you know he knows nothing of him. You know he is a dark angel. He cannot he cannot fight. Azrael says that he can because he must. So he asks Ruta if the knife, if it's a weapon. She heard the cliff gas talking about and she's like yes she wasn't aware that it would need a bearer or that it would have been the boy who was with lyra azrael says uh he's like so we find lyra then we find a boy ruda says that she's seen them together where one goes the other follows a gunway asks about this girl everyone talks of ruda's like it's azrael's daughter they believe she is eve and a gunway like who is eve ruda says in some worlds the mother of all sin and he's like, your daughter is the mother of all sin? Azrael sighs. He's like, they believe so. But they believe a great deal of fanciful nonsense. And Ogunway's like, you didn't think it worth mentioning before? And he, he says, like, "You know, where is she? And they don't know. He asks, how can they protect her? Azrael chuckles. If there's one girl in all the worlds that doesn't need protecting, it is Lyra. He says the magisterium can help. Uh, he tells the flying guy to contact Roke. Wait, was it Rook? When they, they know... Or maybe it was Stomachia. So, so yeah. When they know where Relira is, then they'll go there. So Ogunwe asks, he's like, you would use your own daughter as a trap? And he says he's already risked everything to get them this far. His fortune, his reputation. But what they risk now will shape the course of history forever. So if he has to journey to every world, he will. If he has to incarcerate every angel, He will. If he has to take a knife to the heart of the authority himself, he will. And yes, he will risk Lyra. He will risk his own daughter because the alternative, commander, is what happened to yours. You know, be like in this comatose or whatever, this slave state. So he would risk everything and everyone to ensure that can never happen again. So he suggests they all ask themselves, what are they willing to risk? The angel says that, you know, an angel has been killed and all he can think of is how that might benefit him. Ogunway asks if she'd rather he die in vain. So in uh, the chamber, the dude says, Zafania, the great betrayer, um, she's consorting with, so she goes to talk to him. I-, I guess that's her name. She's consorting with humans now. And he's like, you know, was a millennial exile not degradation enough for you? So she says that he speaks of betrayal when he has taken orders to kill one of their own kind. He says Baruch is, was an enemy of the kingdom. He asks why has she really come to see him? And you know, perhaps she wanted to see if it was true what Azrael was doing to him. He's like, Don't expect your rebels to follow a man who enjoys torturing angels. She just asks where is the authority? You know, hiding behind a regent who cares for nothing but his own greatness? The kingdom as they know it is already gone. You know, this is their final rebellion. Then Will walks with Ama, Balthamos asks what happened, and Will says that she's a liar. He says that you know. He knows what he's doing. Two big magisterium's aircraft start approaching. And he says, you know, this is absurd. So, you know, Baruch died for a purpose. He's like, this is meaningless. Will promises, like, that it will work. So Machia calls Azrael through this, like, special scanner things. And she says that Lyra's with a woman named Marissa Coulter, and they're about to land on a remote island in a German um, ocean or something like that, uh, some fair isle place. And Azrael's like, "I know the place," so he'll take the intention craft. It's the fastest way. He tells Agent Samachia to get to the children, get them to safety, away from the woman, and then stay with them until he arrives. A gunway questions Azrael, wanting to go, and he says that he has to. Uh, you know, he heard what the angel said. Satyr, whatever the god destroyer, and Ogunway says, In which case, you know, try not to die. Will's counting his steps, so he says that, you know, they'll go to them through another world, so he's going to cut, walk over there, and pop in over, pop in, you know, inside, whatever. Azrael and Selimaria go into the intention craft thing. Mrs. Coulter's like kind of packing. Her monkey shrieks. Aircraft sirens start blaring. She's like, No, 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 no. Azrael craft stalls and still, still maria says that the intention craft works to clarity his mind is muddled and he says he knows exactly what and who they're going for and then she tries again shroom, takes off culture's just sitting by the window she grabs a, a rock from the frame she hands it to the monkey she's like do your worst and she like leans forward so the monkey can hit her in the head with the rock wills tells them that he'll come back through to um through and close the window He needs them to keep watch. Baltimore says that, uh, he says, sorry, he's like, but I must leave. He says, it was one thing for uh, the the ace satyr, but this is a human matter. Will's like, don't go. He's like, I know it's hard, but I need you to trust me. And he says that he can't. He's like, sorry. His wing extends, he flies away. Ama gives Will some of the plant root, and she says that she'll go with him. He, He thanks her, but he's like, go home, okay? He's like, stay out of danger. He cuts a hole, walks through his empty world. Coulter is sitting outside. Soldiers are on a cliffside on either side You know, looking down with their rifles. Azra's flying towards him. Father Gomez approaches Coulter and he says her name. She puts both hands up. She's like, that's me. She's like, you're too late, Father. She's gone. A boy got here first. So he had several hundred miles in the boundaries of worlds and yet still managed to get here before you. And he just like looks at her and she kind of winces and you know reveals a bloody cut on her temple. She says that That was from the boy, surprisingly vicious. You know, he's super, um, he's skeptical. You know, he's just like looking at her like, you know, can he believe her? Then he's like, I'm going to take Lyra now, Mrs. Coulter. And she's like, like I said, she's not here. Please. He's like, I'm sorry. It's like her fate was decided long before I arrived here. And she's like, okay. And she gets up and she's like, she's in there. Gomez goes in, sees Lyra lying in the bed. And he's like, what was your plan? Would you have kept her unconscious forever? Run from world to world trying to escape the alethiometer forever? You know, she's not stupid. She knew they would find her eventually and destroy her. You know, that's her destiny. So she brought this fate upon her. And now when she reaches the hands of Father President McPhail, it'll mean her death. So he is like, you know, why are you prolonging it? And she says that she doesn't know. She's like, sorry. Then um, she sees a glimmer like behind him. Will's knife's cutting a hole and (laughs) it's like so obvious because it's so bright where he's at and you see like his eye like looking in and then he closes the hole. Coulter says that she didn't know what else to do so now she's like stalling. So he's like, that's not true. And then he comes like sits in front of her. He says the answer was so simple and she knew it. Will comes in from the side, closes the cut. Gomez says a truly loving act would have been to let her die. Pan looks up and Will puts his, his you know finger to his mouth the, the shush. He um crushes like the the root by by Lyra's face, and Gomez says that it's time to for him to to let or it's time for her to let her her go now. And then she's like, "To kill one's own child takes a kind of strength I do not possess." Gomez says that you know she does. She has greater strength than she knows, so she's like, "Do it for me, please. Grant me that." and then Lyra's eyes open and she sees Will. Pan jumps into like a jacket pocket. He whispers to Lyra that they're leaving. Coulter says like, "Please." And Gomez nods, you know, he'll, he'll do it. Then the monkey comes up, hisses when he looks, and then Coulter hits him in the face with the rock. And she's like, "Oh dear. Perhaps you were right about that strength." In the other room, um, she's like, "You came back for us. I knew you would, Will." Then she's like, w- "You know, what are you doing?" And he says that they're leaving, and she's like, "Well, I'll come with you." And he like just like walks past her, and she, and she's like, "No, no, no!" And then she he pulls out the knife. He's like, "Stay back!" She's like, "You're not coming with us." Coulter's like, "She needs me, Will. Please don't take her from me, Will. Please." He's like, "Stay back." Then she's like, "Do you think it's that easy to dispose of me?" She asks if this is what he does. Was his mother so you know as easily disposed of? And she's like, you know, why did you leave her? He starts cutting, and then she's like, where is she, Will? Where's your mother? And she's like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And his hands like trembling as he's like tries cutting, and then, psh, the blade breaks. It's like, holy crap! She looks, and she's like, what have you done? What have you done? And Will's like, you broke the knife. She <laughs> he broke it, but he says that she did it. He bends down to like the pieces, and then she grabs Gomez's gun, and she tells him to leave. She's like, without the knife, you're useless to me. She's like, please leave now. And you know Lyra like stumbles in between Will and the gun. Coulter tells her to move, but Lyra just like glares at her, and she's like, "Don't look at me like that, please." And Lyra whispers, "She's like, let me go, please, let me go." And then, Bing. Um, Coulter like <laughs> falls to the ground. So Machia flutters by, said it was only a small sting. She'll be fine in a few hours. And then she asks the boy if he has a knife, because uh, she's under instruction to take them to Azrael, so to sort of follow her. Lyra's like, no. She's like, I'm not going to Azrael. And Will's like, it's okay. Lyra, she's like, no. We'll go this way. You know, she's like, there's a way out this way. So they go out and immediately start getting shot at. <laughs> so okay, Lyra, that wasn't a good idea. Eoric leaps over. Just there's like this little like um, stone wall. He's like taking down some of the this, the sh- shooting soldiers, but there's like several of them that are shooting. So he yells to Will to get her out of here. So they go around this wall, and then this other soldier pops out at them. Ama jumps on his back and he like flings her off and he goes to raise his rifle, but then will shoots him cause he, he took Gomez's gun. So Lyra checks on, on Ama to see if she's okay. Will's just like sitting there. He's kind of like in, in shock where he's like, he's thinking about what he just said. He just killed someone. Lyra says that they have to go. He tells Ama to come with them, but she says she's staying. They need to go. So he thanks her, he goes through the other hole that he made and he, he kind of closes it, but he, you know, he can't do it. So he just like puts it together. Um, And then, uh, because the knife's busted. And then Samachia flies through it. Azrael lands, he and Selmaria go inside. He calls Lyra. He sees Gomez, like, knocked out. He sees Coulter on the ground. Selmaria's like, we're too late. And then in the other world, Will and Lyra sleep on blankets by fire. And then they, like, hold hands. So that's the end of the second episode. Then season three, episode three, The Intention Craft, Lyra's sleeping, she has the same dream about Roger, land of the dead. She wakes up, she looks at sleeping Will. Pan asks what woke her, and she you know, she's like, Oh, I slept enough. Gomez angrily walks over to see MacPhail. Lyra sits and Pan asks if it was another nightmare, and she's like, No, she's like, Too much to think about. So she needs to go to the land of the dead and put things right. And Pan's like, You mean we need to? And you because know, she's like, you know, whatever happens, we'll be together. McPhail tells Gomez, he's like, help me understand what has happened. He's, and Gomez like, there were unexpected forces around a girl, dark forces, um, <laughs> dark forces. All there was, was a rock that he didn't know about. <laughs> he's like, then he, he's like, their, their soldiers saw a boy and a girl disappear in thin air. McPhail starts walking away. Gomez says that he believes it'll take more than manpower to eradicate them. McPhail says the child cannot be allowed to live back at the camp. Azrael is told that his prisoner is awake, so Coulter and her monkey are like in this like kind of metal like shipping container thing. So Azrael is like, "Oh, it's quite a thing to see you like this," and she's like, "Hello, Ezrael. So he um, takes her out, but ties her hands behind her back, and she's like, "You don't need to tie me up," and he's like, "You are my prisoner," and she's like, "You're enjoying this, aren't you?" And he, you know, he's like, "You haven't changed." He says that she could be standing there besides him. You know, he gave her a choice. In that mountain top, and she turned him down. And she says that she's like, You have changed. You're more petty. He's like, I am unchanged. You know, she went back for Lyra and failed. And Marissa's like, Is she here? And he knows he's like, You're still wearing the you know, she's still wearing this necklace or whatever. Then he's like, Lyra is not here. Marissa's like says, She's like, Listen, Lyra's in danger, and he's like, No. She says that she is their daughter and the Magisterium wants her dead. He says that he thinks she'll find they want the pair of them dead as well she mentions what they think about that she is he's like hokum religious hokum and he's like how could we have produced another eve she says well the witches believe the same thing and he says this wouldn't have happened if she stayed at jordan college as she was told the fuss she has caused is out of proportion of any of her merit and she's like remember who you're talking to he's like you don't mean any of those words he's like do not presume to tell me what i mean and she's like, you're right. She's like, I failed. And now he's the only one that can help her. He like sighs, he sits. He says that he has someone with her, one of their best, and she'll bring her here when the time is right. And she tells him to promise her that, that she's safe. And he's like, my word. He's like, that girl has cast quite a spell on you, hasn't she? She, Marissa doesn't answer. And he just like walks out and her monkey just like stares at her. Will wakes up, notices Lyra's gone. She comes up to him and he asks if the, the worst of it has worn off. And she says that what she did to her is unforgivable. But she seems she says that he seems different. And he's like, you you do too. Then they hear Samaki's wings flutter. And he sternly is like, how long have you been there? And she says that she hasn't been hiding. They just haven't been looking. Well, it's like, why are you following us? And she's like, I'm a member of Lord Azro's Republic. I'm here for you, the girl, and your knife. He says that, you know, she's not in charge. We are. And, you know, he needs to talk to Lyra in private. And then she flies in front of him. She's like, how do I know that you won't just cut into another world? And Lyra's like, don't you trust us? And still, so Aki is like, what do you think? Well, it's like, fine. And he sets like the knife, the knife's in the scabbard. He sets it down. He's, he says, if he doesn't have it, then he can't use it. So Lyra's, you know, as they're walking off, She's like, is that a good idea? Won't you just steal a knife? And he's like, it's broken. She's like, what? How? He says that it broke when he tried to get her, that her her mother made him think of his mother. And as he did, it broke. And it left. So he left the, the window to this world open. He thinks that they're stuck. So he takes out her lithiometer and he, he like hands it to her. He's like, well, this might help. So she's like, what happened? And, you know, she woke up and he was gone. And, you know, she, then she was there. He says sorry that you know he shouldn't have left her, but he just suddenly knew where his father was, and he found him, and then he was gone. He is shot by a soldier. Since he died, he's done none of the things that he asked him to do. But then we see Mary, she's getting ready to go. Joseph asks if she really has to, and Mary says that she has to keep moving. Maddie tells her to you know, stay away from the city roads, gives her like some, some stuff, you know compass torch, you know, generally useful stuff. She thanks him and she leaves. Lyra has an idea. York understands metal. Um, If anyone can fix it, he can. So if they go through the window, then he can fix it. Will's like, and then, you know, he knows that she won't want to do this, but his dad, before he died, told him the knife is needed in the war. And he told him to take the knife to Azrael. And she's just like, no. Will says that, you know, maybe Azrael regrets what he did. Maybe it was a mistake. And she's like, it wasn't. And he's like, well, how can you be so sure? And she's like, because Roger's dead body was in a cage, in a cage he made. He killed him. Will says that, you know, he told him that the fate of many worlds rust on him and that he has the only knife that can destroy the authority. As knife bearer, it is his responsibility to do so. And she cuts him off. To work alongside a murderer? Hmm? No. And she says that she has something more important for them to do. And he's like, what's more important than that? And she says that when she was asleep, Roger spoke to her he told her where he was and that he needed help. So it's like, okay, one dead kid who's murdered, whose soul is being tortured whatever. That's more important than all the infinite worlds. Yeah, that that's more important than how many countless other kids are going to get turned into zombies. So she thinks that they should go there to the land of the dead and he like shakes his head saying, "It's like you can't bring people back from the dead." And he asks her if she thinks that's an actual world and she's like, "It is. I've seen it." Which is like you had a dream about it. It's like, do you suddenly have like psychic dreams that are always accurate? You know, maybe it's like the drugs that you're taking or messing with you. So she says that he can talk to his dad and say the things that he wanted to. And he's like, no, he's like, this isn't a fairy tale. And she's like, so you're choosing him. He's like, I'm not choosing your dad. I'm choosing my own because he died before I even knew him. You know, he's like, I'm the bearer, not you. He's like, this isn't how you know he wanted things to be. He saved her. He did everything he could to do it. You know, he told he told him not to, but you know, he did it anyways. Maybe they're better off not fixing the knife at all. So Samaki reports back, Lyra is pushing the boy to do things he doesn't want to. Ruta comes up and is upset that he brought Coulter here. Azra says that she is devious but has done lo- and you know she's done loads of bad things, but she's intelligent and appears to be at the moment on their side. So he thinks that they can use her. Agunway says, "You know, he he trusts her so much. He he took her prisoner. He doesn't. Uh, he's like, I don't trust her one bit. Which is why I want a second opinion in front of the council." Ruta's like, "Her sister witches were tortured and killed by her hands. They're surely not the only ones." So he's like, "Sorry, but you know, he wants her hurt. Can she agree to that?" McPhail is alone and says, "You know, where have you gone?" And then Octavia, his demon, says, you know, not to doubt himself. So I don't know if if McPhail's trying to talk to the authority, trying what so McPhail says that he shall have to do it without him. So Will's sitting by a fire at night, Lyra comes over and he gets up. And Pan asks Lyra, he's like, Is it really that hard to say you're sorry? And she's like, Why would I say, or you know, why would I be sorry? And Pan's like, he came for you. He found you. He fought for you. And the first thing you do is argue with him. She's just like you're not always right you know that and then you know he comes back you know just as she gets up and she's like i'm sorry and will's like the one thing i know is you don't apologize easily and she's like fine then i'm not sorry and she walks away and he's like i'm sorry too you know he doesn't want to argue she says york's still close to the window in her world um because she checked with the lithiometer so they can fix a knife and then he can decide what to do and he's like I'm not changing my mind and she's like I'm not asking you to the last thing that his dad said was to take the knife to Azrael. and she says that she's grateful that he came for her and he says that you know he had to he can't take her where she wants to go and she's like it's fine you know she and Pan will find a way and then he's like how will you get back and she's like she says just you know don't trust him you know, Azrael. She's like, she did, and she regretted it. Then samakia flies at them, You've been lying this whole time. The knife is broken. Lyra yells, to Stop attacking him. And samakia asks, You know, for one reason why she should. Lyra's like, Because Azrael needed him safe. It's him he wants, isn't it? And samakia says, that, You know, her father's right. She's insufferable. Lyra says, Tell him that they've escaped. Tell him that they've lost a the knife. And it's his mother that broke it, not Will. When he needs them most, they'll be there. And Will's like, will we? And then she nods. Samaki is like, asks if, if they can fix it. And Lyra says, and not with her here, you know, because they, they can't trust her. If she, She's like, what if I refuse to leave? Will says that he'll close the only remaining window and then they can all stay there. Lyra says that they can't be controlled by anyone, especially Asriel. Samaki is like, well then, you know, she has no choice. So, whatever they're doing, do it quickly. This war will need them all. And then she flies off. Lyra is like, first thing tomorrow, we'll go and find Yorick. So Colter's bonds are cut. She's given boots and like like a jumpsuit, whatever. Her monkey's still on a chain. She's taken to Azrael. You summoned me, my lord? He tells her to sit and she's like, why am I here? So Aruta, uh, Ogunway, and uh, Roke are there. He says, uh, Azrael wants them to hear her. Um, I, th- I think a gunway's talking. Decide what? Rudus like, who you are? And so Mercer's like, oh, this is a trial. What happens if you find me guilty? Pelt me with rocks? Tar and feather me? Ezra tells her not to play the victim. It doesn't suit her. They're trying to decide if she has a place in the Republic of Heaven. So, you know, she's like, what do you want to know? A gunway says, what use can she be? And she's asked, what do they want to hear? You know, she was the first woman in her world to sit with scholars and clerics. Her knowledge of dust is equal to that of Azrael's, and she's like, ask him. See if he'll contradict me. He says that this is not his floor, and she's like, oh, how interesting because it looks like it is. Ruta says that she's an agent of the Magisterium, and she's like, former agent. Ruta says that during her time, she killed witches. Merces says that she killed witches, yes. She murdered. She experimented on children. They cannot exact a harsher judgment than the judgment she's placed on herself ruta kind of like rolls her eyes versus like you know they're not asking the important question why would she help them and ruta says because they have the key to her cage and she's like no he's like they are the only ones that she can see who would protect their child she's been the worst mother in the world you know she didn't think of her for years if she did it was only to regret the embarrassment of her birth and Azrael's like, I never understood why a child born of our love should be a humiliation. And she's like, an illegitimate child and a murdered husband, because her husband was killed. She's like, that is something, you know, quite something to carry on my back. When the magisterium started to become interested in Dustin's children, she had concerns for her. She um, says that she saved her from the oblation board. And even though, even when, you know, she was under a knife, Azra's like, the oblation board was your operation. You know, the blade was your invention. And, you know, he says that he wasn't a father, but he kept her from danger. And she says, and now he has to do more. And he's like, no. She says the Magisterium will kill her. Uh, you know, she couldn't save her, but Azrael can. She's like, do that, please. You know, this is all that I beg and I will do anything. Ruta's like, why? And Coulter says, because she loves her. Azrael says that he thinks that they've heard enough. Will, Lyra, and Pan walk to the hole. He asks, "You know, what if York's not there?" And she's like, "He wouldn't leave without her." They go through. She looks down at the house where she was staying, and he says that you know she doesn't have to go inside, but she's already gone. Inside, she says that she knows it wasn't real, but once or twice she woke up and she was holding her. She's like, "I've never been held before." And then they hear York roar outside. So deliberation over Colter continues. Azra says, "If there's any doubt, now's the time to say." A gunway says that there is but she's not the only one she, you know she's clear on what she is what's less clear is what she is to Azrael if that woman tempted him he's not sure he would resist azrael just says does she stay commander so he says provided that they keep an eye on her azrael asks Roke um, the little flying guy and he says that she stays as long as she proves useful to them what about Ruta she says that she likes Lyra and she is important to the witches. So for her, she agrees. But if she betrays them even for a second, let her be the one that kills her. And Azra says that she will have that honor. So Coulter is brought in. Azra says that she is to stay. Um, she'll have the freedom of the camp. But if she tries to leave, she'll be killed. And she says, you know, oh, how kind. He's like, it's not kindness. You know, his colleagues think that she'll be useful so let's hope for her sake that proves to be the case her demon is unchained and he says that his agent said lyra's traveling with a boy with a knife you know an important one can she tell him about it she says his name is will she met him twice now he fancies himself some sort of hero but she finds him insipid and she knows nothing of a knife so she's lying already lyra and will Um, they see Yorick, Lyra runs up to him and he says that he, oh, I missed you, and she's glad that he stayed to see if he could help. She says that Will's knife broke and she needs it to go to the land of the dead. You know, he's the best blacksmith in the world, but he's like the land of the dead is no place for the living. That knife never should have been made. Will's like, but it was made and I'm meant to be its bearer. Yorick says that he may have good intentions, but that knife has intentions too. He says that the knife would have broken because Will's mind was divided. You know, he doubted his path. Bears do not doubt. And Lyra's like, "You're lying." She's like, "When I met you, you were drunk because you couldn't cope with the idea of failure." And you know, doubt comes when you care. It's not bear or human. It's the worst people who don't doubt, like my mother and father. She's like, "Good people doubt because they don't know the right path." So he says, uh, "You know, read her instrument. Ask if." she should go to the land of the dead and she said that you know she did she has never known it to be so confused you know it's talking a balance but it's a kind of a delicate kind of balance and york says like well then that's your answer so he it's it thinks it's unwise lyra's like then it said yes and he kind of like scoffs he's like still a silver tongue he's like fine i'll mend the knife but i do not like your purpose mary's walking she steps through another door McPhail is visited by a, a, some doctor, Dr. Cooper. She's like nervous. He says that, you know, she has a service to perform. He says that, you know, he's fascinated by energy, in particular what Azrael managed to do. And she says that one of her colleagues observed a release of energy at the severance of a demon. So I think she was in Marissa's like uh, prison camp with all the kids. So he asks how much energy is released. Because. Um, Uh, You know, could this energy be used as a weapon? And she's kind of like silent. He says that you know she has the best minds at Geneva at her disposal, and her and her team will be unable to leave the premises until her task is complete. She says that Azrael's expulsion burnt a hole in the sky, and she doesn't think that they should be building anything. And he like slams a book down to like startle her, but then he like picks it back up. It's just like okay. He says that he's fighting for New Eden here on Earth. That is a task ordained to him. So she must work her part or he'll rip it from her. It's like, okay, that's encouraging. Coulter is looking over like plans of intention craft. Ruta says that, you know, she doesn't think that he'd want her looking at them so carefully. And Coulter says, that, it's like, well, he gave me my freedom. And, you know, she's like, I'm just trying to understand what he's done here. As Ruta turns to leave, Coulter's like, your demon powers it and your will controls it. And she's like, uh, she asks, where are the labs where these are held? And Ruta just like, smiles and walks away. Uh, Azrael works, and Salmachia told uh, Roke that the knife is broken. In its current state, it's entirely unusable. And he's like, how? Roke says it broke when Lyra's mother tried to take it back from the boy, which isn't quite how it happened. Samaki is on her way back, uh, and he's like, Mrs. Coulter is already lying to you. So Coulter checks out an intention craft, Azrael says that Agent Roke is angry with her. Seems she did see the knife, and it was her, in fact, who broke it. She says that she didn't think it would further her cause, and he says that he believed her. He thought she finally found honesty. And she's like, honesty isn't something to be found. You're either honest or you're not. And she's like, neither of us are. He says that he's abandoned the search for Lyra. He pulled his agent. Since the knife is broken, he has no use for her. And she's like, you can't. He says, I can, and I have. He's like, the war is more important. She's not, you know, his fight. She cannot be Eve. He says that, you know, he is battling to liberate them from these oppressive fairy tales. Yet from all the uh, angles, he's being told that his own daughter is original symbol of guilt. So he cannot believe that story. And she says that he, he's not all about his beliefs. They believe it, you know, the magisterium and, and they will act on it. He, you know, he sacrificed so much. What has she worked towards? Power, and how did she get it? By making herself the pitiless agent of the Magisterium, the inventor of hideous machines capable of tearing children apart. But along comes some foul-mouthed, arrogant little brat with dirt under her fingernails, and oh, you could love her. She like, um, she flutters her feather and sits over her like a mother hen. She kind of like spits in his face, and he grabs her by the throat, and he has like 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 a tear in his eye or something like that. And then he whispers, he's like, why can't you just be who I want you to be? And she's like, take your hand off me. So then he, like, sits. He says that he's doing this because the power of the authority is a lie. He didn't create anything. All he created was institutions to instill fear and exert control. He doesn't even rule in heaven anymore. The kingdom is ruled by a regent called Metatron. And she, like, chuckles. She says that she doesn't believe him. He's like... It is a lie. Every hideous thing that she's ever done in his name, it was all a lie. He's like, and I can show you. And then, then she can watch him start a war. So Will looks at the shards of the knife. Yorick tells him to place his knife. There's like this metal thing, whatever, sitting on top of the fire that's heating up. So he tells him, put it put it in the fire. A divided mind broke it, so only a strong one will make it new. You know, this will be his task as much as York's. Hold it in his mind, focus on what's important so he thinks of his dad um lyra moves to him and york yells to leave him because he's like kind of like whatever's not struggling but just you know anguish thinking about everything so his dad says he's a warrior he thinks a Colter, and the, the blade kind of like snaps again falls to pieces york says you know look inside you and find what matters so he tries again the pieces start you know moving back together he, he thinks of lyra and then he like passes out so did it quite make it together you can hear Yorick tell Lyra to stand clear. And then there's like hammering on a knife, cooling in the water. And, and Lyra and Yorick are standing over Will. He sits up. The knife is, is whole. Yorick says that he has done as he has asked. Now he must decide the path he takes. So by the shore, Yorick says that you know she, um, if she does not find a way out of the land of the dead, they shall not meet again. But if they do, she will always be welcome in his, I forget what it's called, his kingdom. And the same is true of Will. So they are worthy of each other. And then he's like, Goodbye, Lyra Silvertongue. And he hopes that they do meet again one day. Azrael takes Marissa to see the captured angel. Uh, He rolls like special glass in front of the window and she can see like his angelic form, like through this other glass. And she's like, How? So he decided not to speak, but he doesn't need him to speak anymore. So Will looks at the knife and Lyra asks how does it feel he says different he says that when the knife was forged he felt things that he saw her before he can continue Balthamos flies down Will says that he thought he was gone Balthamos says that he should have done better and he's sorry so he has been watching over them Lyra goes over shakes his hand introduces herself he's like oh, I know he knows who she is to Will he says that you know he nearly lost it forever is he ready to go to Azrael because he's gathering his armies Will pauses, and then he's like, no. He's like, sorry, but I have to go to the land of the dead. There's someone there who needs our help, Lyra's friend. So Baltimore asks, this is the route you must take? And Will's like, yes. Then he's like, then follow the path. So Will tells him, he's like, come with us. And Baltimore says that the land of the dead cannot be entered by angels. His path is a different one, but he shan't be far away. So he he nods and and flies away. He tells Lyra that, you know, he's not just his dad's son. His mom says, that if a friend needs help, you should give it, and then she thanks him and hugs him. This eagle demon flies up to Ruta. I don't know whose whose demon this was. Um, flies up to Ruta. In a gunway, says that the worlds are rippling with angelic activity. Zafania's rebels are gathering in scores, and she says like a shifting tide before a great ocean storm. A gunway says that she says she trusted Azrael completely. Is that the truth? And she says that she thinks it's a dangerous assumption that Exania, Ex, Exa, Zephania's followers will side with a human against one of their own. A gunway asks if she really thinks that they'll turn against him because he has one of Metatron's angels prisoners. And she s- thinks that it depends on what Azrael does to him. So I think this is, they're saying that Azrael might not have Angels on his side, because then a- Azrael tells the angel about the knife that can cut through anything. Unfortunately, now it's broken, you know, forged by human hands some 300 years ago using rudimentary technology, while some people were getting around in horse and cart. He's like, the point is, maybe he never needed a knife in the first place. You know, he's like, this woman once created a device capable of, of cutting the soul. He uses the same technology to blast through worlds. Now together they're going to cut the angel to pieces and then blasts him back to his master. So he asks Marissa to close the door. He'd like to begin now. Her monkey like actually goes out when she closes the door. Azrael turns on the machine and says that, you know, he doesn't do it willingly. He does it because Alarbus forces his hand. Alarbus screams and then he yells, Azrael get his judgment. And Azrael says, but he will not be the one to deliver it. Instead, he will deliver his message to Metatron. There's more screaming. Marissa just like watches. I don't know if she's like nervous. Is she scheming? Azrael says his message. He's like, this is his message. I am here. He hits a switch all the way. Right like the machine powers down. He chuckles. Marissa's gone. She went to the intention craft with her monkey. She turns it on. Azrael yells after her. He pulls out his gun. He tells the men and Ogunway to hold her fire, tells roke to get inside the craft, go with her. They like stare at each other, you know, the, the ship's just kind of like right there. And she's like, Goodbye, Azrael. Ogunway asks what game is he playing? And he says that she wants to play mother, so let her. He hopes that they're ready for her. Will holds a knife, asks Lyra what exactly is he looking for, and she says that it's endless, flat. And you can feel the death within it. He looks and he tries to cut. And the knife kind of like bounces back. And he's like, it doesn't feel like it should cut through. And so it's like, is this the knife going to snap again? And then finally, he's like, this is the last world that he could find. He, there's nothing beyond it. He cuts. He's like, is this it? They go in and it looks like the place for, where, where she was dreaming. You know, desert, the wooden structure things. And she's like, this is it. Because, you know, she saw it in her dream so then they see like other people walking ahead of them and pan's like wait it doesn't feel safe lyra keeps going and pan's like wait and then that's where the episode ends and the next episode is lyra and her death so uh i'm just gonna stop there because that's been like almost an hour of talking about this so uh i will try to do two more next week it just feels like, even though there's only like six episodes, it feels like this is going to take, it, they're so long. Because there's just so so much going on. And I think that that's the other thing why I'm kind of re- reluctant about this. There's just so much dialogue. And I feel like so much of it is important that I can't just gloss over and say, they took her prisoner and then this happened. Because this. I feel like what they're saying to each other is important too. I don't know. Am I wrong? Am I going too in depth? That's just the way I roll, I guess. But So that's been uh, episode two and three. I should have done two last week, but it was too long, and I was whatever. So, that says Dark Material. Okay, then National Treasure: Edge of History. I'm I'm enjoying the show for for the most part. There are some some things that still make me cringe a little bit. There's still some dialogue that makes me cringe, but I think it's still the idea of the treasure. I don't know. And it's not even that like that great of a treasure idea, but I guess the idea of the the Inca the the Mayan and the the Aztec like kind of working together, I don't know. So, let's just get to it. Episode 3, Graceland Gambit. So, just Tasha and Liam uh wake up Orin. like they they go over just the, where he's he's staying because I think he's staying at Ethan's, right? They ask for his old mini DV camcorder and then you know so he comes in and Oren's like he's like who's Liam and you know this guy he's like are you Tasha's rebound and just like he's with me and then Oren mutters oh poor Ethan and Liam's like who's Ethan and he says uh or she's like a friend Oren's like what do you need my camera for just holds up a tape and says that she thinks her mom's on it and she thinks that she knew about the treasure so they they hook it up it's like May 1st, uh, 1999, and her mom's on under. Just like she's so young. She's speaking like on the stage in Spanish. There's like big, like, slides, you know, projector screen behind her. And she's like, Thousands of years. So she says in Spanish and, and just interprets Thousands of years ago, before the Europeans arrived, a bunch of independent tribes spanned Americas. Some of them passed their history and culture through textiles and art. Whenever war broke out, some of the women fled with their sacred objects so their history would be preserved. Over time, a treasure grew until the greatest threat arrived, the conquistadors. But there was one brave woman who risked her life to save the treasure from the conquistadors, Malinche. She was an enslaved uh, Nahua teenager who was forced to work for Hernan Cortez as a translator. Over the last 200 years, her name has been dragged through the mud for helping the Spanish slaughter indigenous people in their quest for gold. But the truth is, Malinche used her position in Cortez's camp to keep one eye on the conquistadors while her underground alliance woman could smuggle the treasure away. And Liam's like, she was like a, a master spy. And then Orn's like, like Brian O'Connor from Fast and Furious. It's like, okay. Tasha says that, you know, and they're all wearing Jess's necklace, you know, and like the pictures and stuff. In her. So she thinks back to Peter saying, that necklace represents an ancient oath to unburied, a lost history of entire civilizations. If your father had that necklace, then he was protecting a treasure and so must you. Jess is like, these women call themselves the daughters of the Plumed serpent. Once the treasure was hidden, the woman created a treasure map and broke into three pieces, giving one each to the Aztec, Inca, and the Maya with the idea that once the conquistadors were vanquished, they would come together again to rejoin the pieces of the map and find a treasure. The three pieces of the map were lost over time. This one, talks and Tasha's like, what's Professor Mansplainer saying? So they're th- saying that her dissertation is fantasy, that every scholar agrees the Inca and uh, Mesoamerican civilizations never communicated, let alone work together to hide a great treasure. Malinche Malin wasn't a hero. She was a traitor. At best, she was a powerless victim. Then this other guy comes up, and this guy is Jess's dad. Tasha says, She's like, I thought your parents didn't like each other. And Jess is like, He's defending her. The, the guys get up, her dad saying that he and her mom are going to prove that the legend is real by finding the treasure. Then the recording cuts to, you see, Raphael, he's like, sets up the camera in their kitchen. Jess's mom, Manuel, is pregnant. And, you know, they start like dancing, whatever, in the kitchen. Jess has tears. So Jess thinks about hearing her dad's voice and seeing them dancing. She never really thought about there being a time that they were in love, which is just silly. Liam uh, starts is starting to reconsider. He's he always thought his dad was chasing a dream, but she has a necklace. She's like, the treasure's real. Then stupid Ethan walks in, Treasure, I thought you were done with all that. <laughs> It's like, go, go away, Ethan. Then Agent Ross at the FBI, she gets a call from the doc at the, the city morgue. He asks if she ordered a panel on Peter Sadusky and he he just needs a e signature before he can release information. She's kind of like sort of whispering, whatever. She's like, well, you know, I'd rather do that in person, whatever, and go over the information. And then her supervisor dude walks up. He's like, oh, thanks for going through, you know, all those those statements. I know they're tedious, whatever. Then he's like, listen, uh, I know how you're feeling. And he says that, when he was first stationed someplace, whatever, he failed to act on a tip, and uh, the Declaration of Independence was about to be stolen. And she's like, "That was you." He's like, "Yeah." And like you, I was eager to make up for it. Luckily, I had a good boss who believed in me. And he says, "He's like, I believe in you." Jess shows Ethan the video of her parents, and he's like, "I don't understand uh, why." Because he's a big doo doo head. <laughs> she says that there's there's more, and she you know gets the folder and she reads some Spanish. He says, like, that was your mom's lullaby. And she says, there was a second verse that she never sang. You can sleep, precious child. Our treasure is safe till we rise again tomorrow. So the lullaby passed down the legend of the treasure. Then she mentions Billy. She's like, did, did I tell you Billy was a black market antiquities dealer? He's like, so if she gets her hands on a treasure, it'll end up in the hands of some sketchy rich collector. And she says that, and, you know, no one know will know that her mom was right because I guess that's what's most important, right? Not returning the treasure to where it belongs to the people, but to prove that her mom was was right. So Ethan's like, when do we start? So I guess he's totally on board now. You know, before he's like, oh, you need to drop all this, but now he's like, okay, let's do it. So they all go over to Liam's, to, to Peter's uh, house, to the, the secret room. Oren is, is like geeking out over to some of the stuff. There's like, I there's like one thing there's like Benjamin Franklin's glasses and, and all stuff like that. And then he's like, oh, my God, your grandpa is a redacted FBI agent in Riley Poole's podcast. And Liam's like, I'm not really a podcast guy. Then there's like this bulletin board with like, you know, a bunch of stuff about the relics. Tasha puts up like printed pictures that she took in a box that just opened. Liam says that his grandpa found one. Um, he said something like Cibola. I don't know if that's a place. He, you know, he gave it to his dad, but then two days two days later, his dad died in a diving accident, and it's never been seen again. So obviously, his dad was killed, right? I don't know if that was mentioned in the second movie or anything at all. So now they're stuck. Um, but they had one clue about the third box. His grandpa and dad were never able to crack it because they didn't have Jess, right? They, they needed her. So there's this piece of paper that says, A message was passed to the Sun King born to peace. So Sun King is, is capitalized and peace is capitalized. Liam says that, you know, he's like, my dad was a Mason, my grandpa was a Mason, so I'm guessing, you know, that's where they got it. Jess's thing about Sun King, um, she and Ethan both noted both noted Louis XIV was called the Sun King. Jess says that his his parents were married as a political allegiance. Ethan says, you know, strengthen the, the ties between France and the Iberian Union. She's like, Louisiana was named after him. And he's like, do you think the message could be in Louisiana? She's like, or in what was Louisiana territory. But why would any ind- indigenous person give a clue to a French king? So Tasha's looking at some stuff, and she's like, just who's Salazar? Because there's a paper that says, uh, in big letters, beware Sal- Salazar, underlined. At the top says, no no confies in nadie más. So don't, don't confide in anyone else. Ethan uh, thinks that there's gotta be another Sun King. Liam says that maybe it's not a real king, and you know, he's like I was thinking of the, the king of rock and roll, Elvis, because his label was Sun Records. Orange's like, whoa, that makes sense. Elvis was totally a Mason. He pulls out his phone and he mentions that when Elvis met President Nixon, he was doing a secret Mason handshake. But if it's like if it's a secret handshake, how does everyone know this? And uh, you know, Elvis is mixed up in all sorts of conspiracies and and Ethan's like, you mean was? And Orrin's like, do I? It's saying that he's he's still alive. Tasha mentions another fun fact. Elvis was Cherokee. His three times great-grandfather uh, you know, was, was Cherokee because she's looking him up online. So he was married to Morning do- Dove White and just like, dove is a symbol of peace. That's why peace is capitalized in a note. It's a person. She goes back to the paper. Other tribes were rumored to have helped the daughters of a Plumed Serpent, and one is a Cherokee. Liam says that Elvis's favorite guitar was called Ebony Dove. He just happens to know that. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're a hardcore Elvis fan, would you know? Like, maybe? Ethan says that if he's saying that Elvis put a clue to an ancient treasure on a guitar, Jess is like, if you're going to put a clue on something, it would make sense to put on something, and then Liam's like, that would become a museum piece. And and he and Jess both say at Graceland. So Tasha's like, the only problem that is that she doesn't see any mention of that guitar on Graceland inventory. And she is like a super fast Google searcher. It's just like like that. She's like looking up right away because you know she does she does uh, YouTube videos. So she's like, it's uber expert in computers. Orange's like, well, it's got to be in Elvis's secret room. And they like stare at him. He's like, the secret room at Graceland. He's like, am I the only one that cares about history? He's like, all the most valuable and secret stuff, uh, Elvis stuff, is stored in a hidden room. No one is allowed or even allowed to, no one's allowed in or even allowed to know where it is. He's like, they let Oprah in there once and she had to be blindfolded. He's like, Oprah. So they're like, okay, we just need to find a guitar that may not exist and break into a room that may not exist. And Jess looks at the board. She's like, yeah, and I think I know how to do it. Of course. So, uh, the lady fake fed is, is looking up just a story online. She's like, she's the first DACA student to be valedictorian. She had a choice of any Ivy league school, but then her mother gets sick. So she gives up university to take care of her until she dies. All she's left with is a stack of medical bills to remember her by. And Billy's like, and she refused my offer. And she's like, I would have paid her bills. And the lady's like, well, kids these days, they don't care about money. They just want followers. And she's like, find a treasure and you become famous it's like so stupid the dude uh, the the fake dude agent I think was his name Nate Nathan he's like examining like the relic with a, like a stethoscope he's like magnetized lodestone acts like a compass he's like that's what unlocks the dial and I think Billy's like safe cracking 101 so he's listening gets it open just like that <laughs> it was just like a regular like cheap old stethoscope Billy takes out the keychain from the gift shop that girl opened this and she's like, I'm still not sure why Sadusky told her, but he inadvertently gave us a very big clue. So they're looking for clues for the treasure on the outside, but they should have been looking on the inside. So then she, um, like the stuff, the, they're still on the plane. They like, they, all, they hang out on the plane all the time. I don't know if they're flying around or just sitting at an airport. But like the stewardess brings us like suitcase. It has like this, a thumbprint, like unlock scanner thing. Uh, and then Billy has the emerald relic in there. And she's like, "Let's take a look at the inside of this one, shall we?" So I, I'm assuming it opens the same way. And you don't even have to know a fairy tale story about the rabbit or whatever that, that Jess figured out. Ross, uh, FBI agent, she goes to the city morgue. The the dude kind of questions her, looking into the death of a, a highly decorated agent. You know, like her, her position, because you know she's a lower position. So she comes clean. She's like, "I was supposed to cancel it, and you can report me or tell me what you found." And he's like, well, unfortunately, the panel is inconclusive, but it it is very suspicious. And she looks at it. She's like, that's a lot of unknown substances. And he's like, well, given his age, he was probably taking quite a few meds. He's like, there is also an orange stain on his hand. And she's like, was he so like he was clutching something when he died? And the doc's like, well, you could have been. And he's like, looks like it's a common dye used in over-the-counter meds, like even candy. So she's like, if I got you a list of his meds, could you whittle the, down the list? Not that either of us are you know, officially working on the case. And he's like, sure. And they kind of look at each other. So it's like, already. and she just like leaves. And she's like, thanks. So it's, but it's like, hey, do you want to go out for a drink later? That's probably what's going to happen, right? Because that's how it happens all the time. Billy says like, two boxes, 12 pieces. And we have two thirds of the map. So the, the one, it's, it's supposed to be like, is ta is ta, kichu, chual, something like that. So there's like the White Woman Mountains. There's and they're looking at online whatever. There's this cave with like a jaguar head or something like that, it's supposed to signify the entrance to a sacred place. Um it's like the the white woman mountains are outside Mexico City. So the dude's like, That's where the third box is? And Billy's like, Well, we won't know until we get there. The kids, meanwhile, are headed to Graceland. They're like in, in the van, and Tasha's somehow made contact with the head of security because he has like doodle labs or something like that. Like he has, they even have their own Instagram page. So Jess wants to go over to plan, but Oren's like, no, oh, no, no, no. He's like, you never do that. It's like, that's how you jinx it. You know, you never do that in the movies, but they're like, Norm, sort of like, okay, one, one PM, they open the cases for cleaning for like the, the jumpsuits, which seems like a weird time to do it in the middle of the day. Oren is supposed to release some moths. The second that they see the moths on the priceless jumpsuits, they'll call, the exterminators, Oren isn't crazy about unleashing moths, turning the suits into Swiss cheese. Just as like they're not that kind of moth, and they're like there's more than one kind or something like that. She's like, I worked at Almighty Storage. I'm pretty much an, a moth expert. It's like okay. Tasha says that then they'll have 13 minutes to get in and out of the secret room before the real exterminator shows up. Ethan's like, that's a very specific uh, you know time, and you know what's your source on that? And she's like yelp it's like are you serious so yelp's like we'll be there in 13 minutes regardless of, of where you're at Orrin wants uh, the beater one to go in but ethan says that liam is a guitar expert and he's he, he's like yeah if anything's out of place i'll know So he plays a guitar so he's a guitar expert the little things is what make me roll my eyes it's it's so convenient then uh, Oren's like, well, you know, whatever, but we're being followed. Look, you know, there's a car behind them. And then they, they pull over when they get on the other side of this bridge. And there's, it looks like this dude with, like, long gray hair and a beard or whatever. He just, like, drives by. And Tasha's like, oh, it was probably just some, some bearded rando going to a, a vinyl swap meet or something like that. They get to Graceland. And uh, I, I guess I mean, you do not need tickets or anything to get in. I don't, I don't know. You just like walk in. I I've never been there. Ethan and Liam get in jumpsuits and wigs and glasses. Ethan takes like the jar of moths in his backpack. And it's like in this like, kind of like leather case. Tasha manages to hack the Graceland security cameras. <laughs> Again, she is a she is a YouTuber. So of course she can hack into security cameras. It's, it's, it's like they go hand in hand. You sign up for a YouTube account. This is how you hack into security cameras. So he goes inside. He's, like, super nervous, whatever, opens the jar. This uh, dude and lady come to open the case. And, you know, they, 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 I don't even know what they do. And then they they close the case. And Orrin's like, nearby. He's like, oh, hey, can, can I ask you a question about this? And then, then the lady sees some moths in the case. <gasps> Alert goes out the security feed. Tasha tells him She's like, okay, synchronized watches. Beep. It's like, oh, my gosh. It's, it's like the fact that they're relying so much on this time is just ridiculous. They go in. Security dude's like, who are you? Where's Tim? And Ethan's like, you're Mark, right? We're subcontracting for Tim. He's on a big job right now, knew this was an emergency. And the the so this guy, Mark, the security dude, and the lady, they're like super skeptical. Ethan's like, he mentioned you have a labradoodle? And then Mark's like, he's like, Oh yeah, I have two, actually. And Ethan's like, Oh, I have one too. You know, and they named them after music or something like that. So Mark's like, oh, follow us. <laughs> so just mentioning that you have the same dog as someone is, is the key to warming someone's heart. They they manage to capture the moths with in the case with like a nets or whatever. And then Ethan starts talking about the, the kind of moths that they are. He's exaggerating, you know, obviously he's lying. Then the lady's like, Well, we can't close, we can't fumigate, it's jailhouse week. And Ethan's like, oh, you know, there's probably no need for that. Just have us look, look around. And then Liam's like, we should probably start in dark storage spaces because moths love that. It's like not too suspicious. The lady tells Mark to take one to the room. And Ethan's, you know, because I think she says to take Ethan there, but Liam's supposed to go there. And, you know, Ethan's like, oh, we work better in tandem. And she's like, there's just too much ground to cover. It's like, we have to get this, you know, do this quickly. So Tasha tells Jess, she's like, uh, "Splitting up wasn't part of the plan." So Jess texts Ethan to just take pictures and they'll figure it out. So uh, they go into his closet and behind like some stuff, there's like a keypad on the wall. It hit hits it, and then the wall on the side opens and there's like an elevator door. So Jess tries texting that they they lost him in a camera feed, but the message sends a fail because I. I the, just because they got, got on, it's like sealed. It's like just because you go down in the basement doesn't mean you're going to lose signal. So, uh, Mark says, you know, normally they blindfold anyone they bring in. He's like, so you have to sign an NDA before you leave. He's like, you know what that is, right? <laughs> and he tells him, you non disclosure agreement. So he's like, if, if there's any moths in there, they'll leave a yellow dust behind. So he'll need to inspect. Oren returns to the van. Tasha mentions that. Uh, to just the real exterminators are there, but they still have like five minutes and seven seconds left. So somehow the real exterminators are early. The dove guitar is hanging on the wall. Uh, he manages to take a few pictures, like surprisingly, you know, because this guy's just like watching over and everything. And you know, I'm sure they don't want any pictures taken. He tries sending. It was like, okay, you're sending the pictures right then and there. It's like, no, you're you're on your phone even longer than you have to be. Take the pictures. Put your phone away but the, the the text it doesn't send because again no, no signal so oren's like i called it he's like you jinxed the plan and tasha's like just go stall him go stall the exterminator so ethan tells the security dude he's like they're all clear so jess texts liam abort the, the real exterminator is, is there so he tells uh, the lady he's like uh we're, we're good here he's like is there a restroom i could use Orin tells the exterminator in the parking lot that he's a hotel manager, that they have a DEF 10 moth situation. And he says, But the dude's like, you know, they're they're supposed to go in a hotel. Mark's like, uh, but Mark said that they're in, and Orin's like, I'm the one who told Mark to call you. He's like just and he just can get a hotel motions for him to follow. So act like you're in charge, like you know what you're doing, and people believe it, I guess. So Liam goes in the bathroom, takes off the hat, the wig, the glasses, and the jumpsuit. He leaves them in an an obvious pile like with the, the wig and the glasses on top instead of like shoving them in the garbage can with like the suit on top and you even see like the, the exterminator logo sticking out and it obviously it's for our benefit but it's like come on uh, elevator goes up security dude says that they can check the velvet paintings uh, in this one room or something like that then he gets a text from Jess because now he has signal so it's like abort then he's like oh sure he's like I just need to grab another battery from the truck he's like I'll, I'll be right back he ducks around a corner and instead of like running out of there, he, he sends the pictures to, to Jess. Liam gets into the van and then Jess looks at the picture. She's like, it looks normal, but then she sees a gold record of La Paloma and Liam's like, you know, looking over her shoulder. He's like, that single, single never went gold. And Jess is like, that means dove. Oren returns to the van. He's like, did I miss something? Liam's like, we have to go back in and look at that record. And Oren's like, uh, if if you if we go back, we're all going to get arrested. Jess thinks of her parents dancing in a video, with and with a determined look. She's like, "I have to know the truth about my dad." Liam's like, "I'll go with." And Tasha's like, "You know there must be another way." Just like, "There is no other way." It's like they're going to shut the place down. It's now or never. So she rushes out. Liam goes with her. Ethan gets to the van, and then he sees them on a security camera, and he's like, "What are they doing?" Security dude rushes past on the walkie-talkie depending or demanding to know like where the exterminators went and then she tells liam she's like okay be on the lookout and she's going in but it's like how did they even know where the door to the security closet was was it did they see him on a security camera go in there and if they saw that is like no one watching the cameras now i mean maybe they're just recording it no one's like sitting there like in, in the movies you know, watching all the screens so she goes in there. She doesn't know what to look for because you know there's no cameras in there. She finds uh, the secret panel on the wall, and she calls Ethan about it. And he's like, he's like, "You need to get out of there." And she's like, "Did you see it? The code?" And he's like, "No." He's like, the, "You know the dude blocked the, the panel." And then she's like, uh, "How many beeps?" And it's like, "What?" You know, because uh, when he did the code, so Ethan thinks, and somehow he remembers that it was eight beeps. I'm sorry if you're standing there someone says that you're not gonna sit there like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight you'd just be like, okay, you know you're be nervous and somehow remember there was eight beeps. so um, the the lady working there, she's like freaking out after they, they talked to the real exterminator. they you know we took them to the secret room so she wants to call the police and, you know if anythings see if anything was stolen. but Mark the security dude he's like he's like I was with him the entire time. he's like he didn't take anything. So just like eight digits. That's a, a date. Day, month, four digit year. What was Elvis's birthday? So Tasha on, on a computer, January 1st, you know, 0 0 0108, 0 1935. She tries it, doesn't work. Just like, what was the date of his comeback show? It's like, of all things that? And Tasha but Tasha responds right away. As Soon as she says comeback show, Tasha says it. It's like, how the heck would she type that in so fast? Because she's a YouTuber and she has, she can type like a like two thousand words a, a second, so it doesn't work. Liam sees a, a security dude like headed her way. He sees a guy with like a guitar on his back, like in a case. He's like, "Can I borrow that guitar?" Who's gonna be like, "Sure, you can take my guitar." I'd be like, "Heck no, you you not gonna touch my guitar." Maybe it's a cheap guitar. I don't know. So just like thinking. Then she goes into the zone and like the, the camera does one of those like the shift things where like the person stays there and like the room kind of like spreads out. You know what I'm talking about? I actually saw a thing like, how do you do this? It's kind of neat. So she's magically standing alone in the main room and she's looking around. So she clearly must have photographic memory. They've never mentioned this at all. But it's got to be what it is. She's like looking at his picture, like Elvis, and, and you know when, when his daughter's born, whatever. She she looks she sees a draft card on the wall, not even paying attention or anything like that. And then like the the numbers, um, like focus like zoom out, you know, January nineteenth, nineteen thirty five, or something like that. And then then she sees a picture of Elvis outside Graceland. She's like the day he bought Graceland. Looks it up, March twenty fifth, nineteen fifty seven. Yep, that works. But first of all, you don't put, you put random numbers. Anyways, Liam starts playing guitar and he's like humming and the security dude, like they just like stop and like, hey, what's going on here? Jess makes it to the basement, goes to the record, takes it off the wall. And there happens to be a record player in there. So she takes a record out of the frame, puts it on the record player. Liam keeps playing. The the dude um, goes to the closet, uh, hits the elevator, just hears, takes the, the needle off the record, and then the dude gets there. He's just standing here looking. The the record in the frame is crooked, so she managed to do this like super fast. Like did she even have time to play the entire record? Because she you know she had her phone, so she recorded it, but we didn't hear anything. So he walks over. He straightens it. She, there's like some like a uh, display cases like in the middle. So she's like kind of ducked around him. Then he gets a call on a walkie-talkie that they have a situation. He's like, "Oh yeah, the singing tourist." Is like, I, "I know." He's like, "I'm on my way." And so just managed to hide behind the, the cases the whole time, and he leaves in the elevator. Mark goes up to this other security dude. He's like, "Enjoying the show." He's like, "Go get him," even though you knew he was there. So. Uh, he starts walking. People are kind of like singing along too. Then Jess walks up. So she got there really fast as well. Um, he kind of like locks eyes with Jess and smiles as he's singing. I forgot the song. It's something like, I do I tell you what I love you or uh, whatever. So Mark's like, we need to clear the room. And then Jess goes up to Liam yelling in Spanish about him being a, a borracho loco. I'm being a crazy drunk, and then she says to Mark, she's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's like the only English he knows is Elvis songs, he gets out of control when he sings them, and in Spanish to Liam, she's like, oh, I'm gonna kill you when we get home whatever, and in Spanish, she's like leave me in peace <laughs> and Mark tells him, he's like, oh, get them out of here, he's like, and put them on a no-fly list or something like that so I guess they're not gonna be allowed to, to come back in in the van Ethan says that, you know, they're gonna check the feeds um, Tasha's like, "Not if I can help it uh <laughs> she's gonna she's gonna delete the files because uh, again, all YouTubers know how to do this this computer stuff. The lady asked Mark, was anything stolen? He's like, not that I can see. She's like, well, check the security footage. He takes out his iPad that he happens to have, pulls up the screen. Just as he's checking you see a layout of like about, like like nine different screens or something like that. and then they all start going to static. He's like, it's it's all gone jess and liam rush to the van the sirens are approaching uh as they they leave like the they drive right right past the police and just like that was insane and Oren's like you sing an elvis song at graceland and jess is surprised that he can speak spanish he's like oh yeah some are bartending at senior frogs tasha's like uh did you at least get the clue she plays recording on her phone it's like this distorted voice and Then, you know, there's like, you know, why go through all the trouble of making a fake gold record? You know, it has to mean something. Liam's like, well, we can mess with it on some music software to see if there's a hidden message or something. I bet Tasha could do that, but she ends up not doing it. He does it. You know, he because he's he's a musician. So he knows all about music software. And then she likes kind of stares into his eyes when he says that. He's like, yeah, we'll figure it out. And then dumb dummy Ethan, he's in the passenger seat. He like stares at them, like all sad, mopey, and everything. He's like, You have a girlfriend, dude, for like six months. Your secret girlfriend that you didn't tell your best friend about. And then he turns around. He's like, All oh, mopey. At the Is Tacachichuatuol, Mexico, Billy enters a cave with the, the fake Fed duo. There's symbols on the wall. Oh, she's like, Incan. She goes to this other wall, Aztec. Then she goes to this other wall mayan the daughters of the plume serpent were here and the dude's like i'll go get my drone like what do you need a drone for there's this flying around and then it falls something happened to it so billy she's looking at these symbols It's something about like an aztec underworld or something like that and then like the mayan underworld and she tells Nate, the dude, she's like, hang on a moment. He's like, oh, it's okay. It's like, I can see the drone. And Billy's like, don't take another step. <laughs> he like falls through the floor. They like run to him. And the the lady's like, oh, let me go. Let me go. He could still be alive. And Billy's like, no. It's like, he's gone. This is all a trap. He's like, we need to go right now. So uh, Nate's gone. And they just leave him there. At Squeaky Pete's, Liam's bartending now since he he's not allowed to play. Ethan comes in. And Liam, he's like, oh, Jess isn't here. You know, she's working on a sound file. And he, and he like, gives him a beer. He opens a bottle for him. And Ethan's like, oh, I know. I came to speak to you. And it's like, oh, boy, here we go. Liam's like, unexpected, but I'm listening. Ethan's like, I want you to understand how careful we have to be with Jess. It's like, what, is she a porcelain doll? It's like, is she a little kid? She's an adult? She can't break the law. And I, I watched you lead her into Graceland to steal a record. Uh, it's like, she ran off on her own and he fouled. Liam's like, oh, she let herself. And I'm not going to tell a woman what she can or can't do. Ethan's like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that we have to look out for her. And Liam's like, how about I do me and you do you? And Ethan's like, look, you don't know her. She, she's not going to stop. This is about her family. It's personal to her. But it's like personal for Liam too, because his dad... His dad clearly was killed, or he died. He was obsessed with this, so he says it's about his family too. And, you know, his grandfather was probably killed as well. I'm sure what the toxicology report is going to say. So he's like, you know, they both have have a skin in the game, and they're gonna they're gonna have to take risks. If he's not cool with it, maybe he should just bail. And Ethan's like, it's not the same for for you that it is for her. And Liam's like, you're not listening to me. It's exactly the same. Then Ethan's like, she's undocumented. He kind of says it loudly. Then he's like, I, I, I shouldn't have said that. He's like, she has DACA. <laughs> so and the thing is, I never heard of DACA before. Maybe I'm I'm the dumb dumb. It's like they, they mentioned this like so many times. He's like, so if she gets into any trouble, she could lose her status and be deported. So it's not as easy as you do you. And then he walks away without touching his free beer. And Liam, he, he opened it for him. Then we see Jess is listening to, you know, she's got it, on her screen. It's like audio stega- stega- steganography explained. There's a knock on her door. Ethan like just walks in when she opens the door and she's like, what's wrong? He's like, uh, I, I went to Liam uh, to-, to tell Liam that he can't be so reckless around you. And it just came out. And she's like, what came out? He says that he told Liam that she has DACA. And then there's a pause. And then she's like, whatever she's like you told him you made a mistake it's okay he's like i know it's not okay and she's like if i say it's okay it's okay and he's like all right he's like i'll I'll just let you go back to what you're doing and he walks out liam is in a secret is in his grandfather's secret office with headphones and then just like knocks and just walks in so she i guess the front door is open she doesn't knock on that door she knocks on the secret office door it's like okay and he's like oh great just in time and she cuts him off saying she's like i know what ethan told you about me having daca she's like i really wish he hadn't and liam's like "Uh, you know go easy on him he's just you know trying to have your back he's like you know you're obviously really close and she's like yeah he's my oldest friend so you know she sits down like on the little step in in the, the office entry he sits next to her and says that you know he would have tried to talk her out of going in there had he known what she was risking she kind of like smiles and shakes her head. She's like, "This is exactly why I don't tell people right away, because it it changes how they treat me." So some tell her to go back to her country and call her illegal. Others have really good intentions. And they want to help and protect her, like she's a puppy. And you know, he's like, "Well, that that's not what I meant." And she's like, "Yeah, I know." And she says that you know that all that that's not who she is. That doesn't like define her. Then he's like, "Well, then who are you?" And she's like. If you would have asked me a week ago, I could have answered that. But now, everything I thought I knew about my my mom, about my dad, my whole family, it's just a crazy riddle that can only be solved by finding the tr- this treasure. He uh, kind of chuckles and is like, well, do you know anything about steganography?" And she smiles and is like, only that the YouTube videos are super confusing. So he brings her over to the desk. Because, you know, the computer, he says he put the audio file through a high-pass filter and shifted the pitch down. He gives her, like, headphones, and they have to share them because the computer speaker is broken. So it's like, how romantic. They have to share the speakers, you know, head side by side. hear a garbled voice, and she's like, that sounds like someone talking backwards. Did you flip it? And he's like, well, I was waiting for you. Flips it. You hear Elvis's voice. I got a message from Miss Morning Dove White, the twin-tongue serpent's tail is revealed in fair weather. And Liam's like, that's Elvis. By the bend in the newfound land. This is my horrible Elvis impression, not even trying. Then they look at each other and she's like, well, play it again. Billy sits on her plane. Oh, so the, the, the FBI, the lady, the fake lady, her name is Casey. She's like, you know, maybe there is no treasure. Maybe the daughters of the Plumed feather would have put the clues out there to keep the conquistadors busy, lure them into traps. Billy shakes her head. She quotes... Nelson Mandela, of all people, and she, you know, don't judge me by my success. Judge me by how many times I fall down and get back up again. Then she says something in Latin, crass S nostrum. And uh, then Casey says the same thing. I, I Googled crass S. nostrum and it didn't come up. And I'll tell you right now, Google Translate doesn't translate Latin. It just, it translated it to itself. And so it said it's Latin, but it didn't tell me what it was. I think it means like good goodbye, old friend. That's the closest thing that came up in the, the Google searches. So they you know they raise a drink to him. And then then Billy's phone pings, she hits it, and she gets the Elvis message that they're just listening to. And Casey's like, is that Elvis? And Billy's like, that is a clue. That's where it ends. So again, this okay, so again, example. This is why the cliffhanger episodes work because now it's like, how the heck did Billy get that message played backwards? Did she somehow hack into Liam's? Into well, I mean, I guess probably what maybe what had happened is they if they killed Peter and made it look like a drug accident, did they put like some sort of bug into his computer that would? But again, it's just. There's no one else that could have told him. I mean, unless like Oren is like really spying for her because he wants more sneakers. So that's the thing. And again, I have one more episode on the screen. I'm, I, I should watch it like before next week because I'm curious. And this is why I like the show. It's it's not, I'll, I'll joke about it, make fun of it, but I'm enjoying the show. And and, and I think that's part of what I enjoy, enjoy, that I can make fun of it, but I am enjoying the overall story. So check that out uh that that's a the third episode of national treasure edge of history all right then doom patrol season four episode four casey patrol so last episode we had a bit of a cliffhanger uh you know what happened to rita you know she kind of passed out they went back to the mansion you know what's going on and then this episode has nothing to do with doom patrol they're not even there it's all about Dorothy, N- Niles Calder's daughter, and uh, like where she at? You know, she went off. You know, she was Danny the Street, and and uh, all all the the whole community living w- with with Danny on Danny, whatever within Danny. So it's it's kind of weird. It, um, Dorothy's not my favorite character. It just her her kind of like attitude and just or just way she carries. Not really attitude, but. Uh, but this was a a, a fine episode. I, I kind of enjoyed it for for what it was. Uh, but it's just weird because, and anything is you know you you want Doom Patrol. You know you you want to hear Cliff dropping f bombs and, and Jane like cursing and and just you know Rita and Larry and you know Cyborg and then we don't get that this this episode. So it was okay. You know I'm I'm sure it's a necessary you know the the drive the season further so it starts off with a, a sort of kind of like comic booky animated scene you see the spaceship there's this, like this some alien looking dude Torminox he's like laughing he has this, this human captured you know she's on, on her knees whatever and you know the, a couple like the the, the Lunkies Flunkies <laughs> Lunkies as I call them they're uh, you know holding like, a gun to her and then uh, he, he's like his you know his plan is nearly complete um, now that he has her and she's like, like I won't let you get away with this and he just like laughs then it cuts to Dorothy, the Nile's daughter. She's uh, telling this story just like several others in, in the wood. She's talking about her father before he passed away. He traded uh, the necklace that she's wearing to someone named Horst in order to help her in a Doom Patrol, but she needed it back. She told him that if she had the necklace, she might be able to conjure her father from the afterlife and tell him all the things that she never got a chance to say. So Horst had glared at her and just said, no. Uh, you know, So... She decides she was going to have to take the necklace back. so candlemaker um, is like fighting this, you see it's like fighting this big dude, or whatever. Dorothy breaks this glass case where the necklace is kind of like on display. You know we we got like a flashback of that, and then she continues the story. So once she had it, she went to Crystal and a Dead Boys to help her summon her father. and the reunion was everything she hoped it would be. But she doesn't sound too convincing about this. And, and she says that the necklace kept her father alive so she, um, he could spend nearly 100 years with her even though he's gone she knows that he'll always be in here and no matter how impossible the odds may seem love always w- wins out and then they all applaud her so then we see uh three of the the, the cross-dressing ladies they they see this like message painted like on, on the side of uh the Danny, so Danny the street's like an ambulance now, and then they, you know, you can go through the back of the ambulance to go to where their sanctuary is or something like that. So on the side of the ambulance, you know, it's all painted and everything. But someone wrote, uh, I think it was on, on the ambulance on, on Danny. It wasn't like a wall, but it says it says "Fudge off and die." So one's like, how many times are we gonna have to do this? You know, they're like, as long as it takes for our message to stick. So they like spray paint over it to fix it and everything like that after, they start going in the back and then, you know, as they're stepping in the back of the ambulance, they notice some boys like kind of like making fun of them and stuff like that. So they're like, oh, just ignore them, whatever. And so they just walk in, they're teleported to like the woods, like where they have this like little camp set up. And then there's, you know, a bunch of people there. Danny welcomes them back because, you know, there's like like a message on signs, you know, when Danny's speaking to them. And Maura, you know, she's like the, the main um, lady that I think we've seen her before, you know, she's a big singer and everything like that. Uh, she, she's coming how they're, they're reaching maximum capacity. That you know they have a lot of people in this little community, and then they might have to start thinking about what they're going to do. So Danny asks Dorothy if everything's all right, and she's like, oh, "I'm fine." You know, she has like such a little attitude, and she's like, "I'm not a kid." And she like goes off to her trailer. Then we see these like kind of like metallic bl- bugs fly, and then they land, and when they land, they start like multiplying and like Mora crawling and stuff like that. Mora goes to check on Dorothy. And she's like, I get it. She's like, you know, after the day that, you know, she had, she'd like to hang out in her dressing room and just curl up in a ball. So then she pretends that she's Dorothy. She's like, oh, what happened, Maura? And Dorothy's like, I was going to ask. But she says that, you know, whenever she has a bad day, she puts on her best wig and she sashays on stage and she belts one out, you know, to the back row. So she tells Dorothy that she ever needs a talk. She's right here. And Dorothy's like, you're always here. Danny's always here. She's like, you know, none of them ever do as she asks and leaves her alone. Well, Moore's like, well, Danny can't leave you alone considering that you're on top of him <laughs> you know, right now. Uh, then she's like, you know, don't take Danny for granted. You know, people need him more than ever. You know, it's tough out there. So they're lucky that they have a, a safe space to come home to. Then the uh, metallic bugs start biting people and then their eyes turn red and then they like fall over. Mora sees uh, Dorothy's reading this space case comic. Uh, the, the, it's the, the girl from the opening. Dorothy says that she saves the universe from bad guys, and she's never afraid to do what she has to. And she like kind of like hugs the comic to her chest. Then Mora's like, "Okay, it's like uh, you can stay cooped up in here all the time." You know, he's like, "We've been over this. You know, you should get out more." And Dorothy's like, "You know, you just literally told me how bad it was out there." and Mora's like well you can take care of yourself and you know she's like don't don't you have all those imaginary friends to help and Dorothy st- stands up like she's offended or something like that and she's like are we done here and, and she's like Mora's like oh excuse me Miss Thing and then she says that you know she doesn't want her sitting here reading about someone else's adventure you know reading um, you know she w- wants to have her own or something like that and then Dorothy says that she's fine where she is you know where else is she supposed to go? And Maura's like, "Well, what about the Doom Patrol? Uh, you know, doesn't she think that Niles would would want that?" And she's like, "No, that you know, he'd be thrilled actually that she's you know right back in her her prison cell where she belongs." So Maura's like, she says that you know if she feels that no one can understand what she's going through. Then then maybe she should find someone who can. And then like the power goes out, so they go outside. Maura like slaps his bug like in her hands, you know, and then. She orders Dorothy to go back inside. She sees uh, uh, Asa by, by the, the the fire, so she turns her around. She's like, "Oh, are you you know you okay?" She's t- she turned into a robot and she like screeches. Everyone's like turned into like these blocky robot heads or whatever. So uh, Amora runs back inside Dorothy's trailer. Uh, the people the robots start like banging on a trailer. Danny messages like if they're okay, Mora's says that he has to jump like right now, but he's Danny says that he can't or they can't, right? I don't know. I don't know what what Danny's pronouns are. <laughs> Danny's a, used to be a street. <laughs> Dorothy says that they look just like the bad guy's foot soldiers from her comic book. Mora says that it might be a good time to introduce them to her friend, the Candleman. I thought his name was Candlemaker. They call him Candleman. Maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about. But then Dorothy says that she can't. And and she's like, you know, the only one that knows how to deal with these things is, and she stares at the comic. There's like this flash outside. Dorothy looks at the comic and, and like on the cover, you know, Space Case was, was you know, the lady, the girl was on the cover. Now she's gone. It's just like a white silhouette, like just blank. And there's a knocking on a door. So they open it, and then space case is like real now. It's like it's like a real real woman, real girl, whatever. And she says that they need to shake a leg because she's like, if if the vector are here, he can't be far behind. And they're like, who? And she's like, Torminox. So more bugs are crawling all over like the the grill, whatever the um, ambulance, Danny, and then Torminox is there. So he's like on the outside and he's he's looking like at the front of the, tr- the truck in the parking lot. You know, it's it's empty, whatever. Then he roars um but he you know he he doesn't go through the portal thing so he you know he, maybe he doesn't know mora asks uh you know what did the turbo tax guy do to everyone space case is like Torminox, and it says Torminox turns everyone into his personal stormtroopers they're called uh, the vectra mora asks if the their people are still in there somewhere and she figures that you know they, they should regroup she asks um space case asks if they have like the interstellar spaceship or something like that and is like oh darn it's in the shop then space case gets this like strange feeling because it turns out she's hungry but she doesn't realize it. i guess she's never been hungry before so somehow dorothy brought her there but she doesn't think that she's imaginary she thinks somehow she pulled her out and she shows more like the comic cover because she says that, you know her imaginary friends are usually her own creation but it turns out um And then she mentions that, you know, Torminox also happens to be Space Case's dad. Torminox, he's checking, like, the outside of the van. He touches ignition, and it lights up. And then uh, a robot wakes up as Dorothy explains Space Case, you know, as as a story. Then the, the robot attacks. Space Case starts forming, like, this energy between her hands. And she's like, it's time to pay the electric bill, which is something that I guess she says in the comics. But more reminds Dorothy, um that that that's one of their friends so they stop her from vaporizing her friend and explain that that's not vectra but she, and you know she's, she says that they're not just you know comic book characters this is the real world where you know death is permanent here and space case is a little confused so dorothy shows her the comic Mora tells her that she's fiction and and then you know uh dorothy's like you know her real name is casey brink and, and Spacey is like, what? She's like, who's that? She's like, I'm not Casey Brink. And even if I was, there's no way you'd know that. So Dorothy explains how she knows her origins. And then we kind of get like an animated version. Like, again, the comic's sort of like almost animated. When she was seven, her father got in a horrible lab accident, turned him into a monster that he is today. Years later, her mother faced Torminox and sacrificed herself to save the universe she blew up like in the spaceship or something like that and dorothy says that you know she knows terminox didn't die in that explosion cuz he never dies he always finds a way to come back and from that day she spent years in training and harnessing the power that she inherited from her mom i don't know why her mom had powers it doesn't make sense but she dedicated her whole life to stop her father at a great personal cost she and she lost her lower right leg and in space case you know shows you know pulls up her pant leg and you see so um dorothy says that you know she's been fighting him ever since and casey's like 143 times dorothy says that you know she loved her father once but once he turned into tormanox she knew that he was gone and he may as well be dead and casey's like how do you know all this so dorothy turns the page of the comic where uh, you see space casey's like staring off and she's thinking my father's gone he may as well be dead and she asks Dorothy, she's like, where did you get this? And she says from her friend, you know, Flex, Flex Mental's room, where did he get it? And Dorothy says, she doesn't know. Uh, you know, And then there's like this shimmer in the sky, all the roll up people get up and then they run through the entrance to the ambulance and then Torminock's like, there you are. So they ask what he wants. He says he came for um, one thing only. So give him uh, Dorothy's necklace and no one else needs to suffer it. She's like, no. And he's like, very well then. He points his hand at the truck and then it starts to shrink. So Danny uh, turns into like this cube. So Space Case like manages to hop out before it turns into the, the tiny cube, whatever. Uh, Tormonok sees Space Case and asks like what she's doing here. And he's like, says he has no quarrel with her. And, and then you know, he's like, leave this place, please. And she powers down and he's like, please, what are you? And he's like, you never. And Dorothy questions, what is she doing? He tells his robots to finish this. Dorothy starts talking. She says that she knows that he has every right to hate her, but um, he, you know he, she needs him. And then Candlemaker appears, knocks the robot you know, away, whatever, punches terminox but then he stops the punch in his hand and Candlemaker's like, go now. Dorothy screams that she's sorry for everything. Go, whatever. And then Candlemaker gets turned into a tiny cube. So they're not doing so well they uh, run into this, like this warehouse building or something like that and Dorothy asks like what does he want with her necklace and Casey says that she doesn't know uh, she says that you know she did nothing she never hesitates especially against her father but Casey says that you know she's right she destroyed terminox 143 times Dorothy said but you know before she said it before he always comes back but what if this time he didn't so when, when she looked into his eyes, she got a memory of him pushing her on a swing. You know, they were happy. It was like when she was a little kid and he was like normal. Uh, so as much as she hates Tormonox, he's all that she has left of her father. So if death is truly permanent here, then there's no coming back. He'd really be gone. So what would she be left with? You know, what would she even do with herself? is like, well, maybe she doesn't have to find out. You know, maybe her father is still in there. Maybe she can get through to him. Then Morris sees like a, a kid <laughs> drawing like you know scrotum or something like that on, on the on the wall or whatever, and it turns out he was just trying to help it, you know cover it up, and you know, he says that not everyone feels the way that those kids do. Then Morris is like, how much paint do you have? So they go to Torminox. He says that uh, you know it's their friends for the necklace. Casey says that you know he he doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to be the villain. You know he was something more once and you know he looks at the wall there's there's a like a pa- painting now of him pushing her on a swing and she says that you know he was her dad and he's like, Casey, then he grabs her by the throat. He's like, the necklace now because he's holding a gun to her head. So Dorothy takes it off and she says, this is all that I have left of my father. She's like, you know she says she wanted to tell him all the things that she needed to say, but she never did. Tormanox is like, that's no concern to me. Uh, And then Maura tells him to can it. And she asks Dorothy, you know, what she means. She says that it was all a lie. You know, Candlemaker and her never went to get it back. Crystal and Dead Boys had to get it back for her. The truth is, she hasn't talked to Candlemaker in months or any of her friends. She locked them all away. And Maura's like, why? She says, because they reminded her too much of her father. Everyone does her friends, Danny, doom patrol. All they do is remind her of what she's lost. And she thought that if she got to see him for a few minutes, she could tell him how much she loved him. But the more time passed, the more she realized that that wasn't all she needed to say. And then to Terminok, she says that, you know, she's, not the person she used to be. She, you know, she's confused. She's scared. She's angry. He was supposed to help her through it. He kept her you know, for a child for so long. And, and now that she's finally growing up, he's not here and she hates him for it. And she wants to say all those things to him, but maybe some things are better left than said. So she holds out the necklace and he puts down the gun. He lets Casey go and Tormenox grabs the necklace. Dorothy says, Casey needs her dad. And then, um, you know, fudge you for turning your back on that he like looks at her then he motions to a robot dude to, to pull put down the two cubes he hits a button on his belt they teleport out of there so then we see people are sitting around a fire on the other side in the the sanctuary part whatever in the smoke you see like letters i'm sorry i couldn't protect you Mora tells danny not to blame himself that no matter how hard he tries you know, he can't protect them from everything you know not by himself no matter how hard things are out there there are people who want to help true allies so if they ever really want to change the world they need to start living in it so it's time to move on to something new including danny ever since he became an ambulance he's been doing triage they all know that he'll always be a safe place to heal anyone and everyone who needs it but it's time to start making safe places of their own in the real world danny says he's you know writes i think you're right and someone's like sitting there asking he's like does this mean we have to leave and danny's like only when you're ready and it's like, well, what if they're never ready? More starts singing. If you feel like singing a song, if you want other people to sing along, just sing what you feel. Don't let anyone say it's wrong. The others start joining in and singing to whatever. It's a uh, white light by Wilco. So not a song. I was overly. Familiar. I had to like look it up. Like, what's this? Dorothy and Casey are in her trailer. Casey says that you know everything. Her dad. Um, and her ever said or felt or suffered through it, and none of it was really theirs. That there, um, there was something there, though. She saw it in his eyes just for a second. So she thinks that he can change. And so she wants to meet you know, whoever wrote their story and make them write a new one. Dorothy smiles, and she's like, I could use a change of scenery. And she's like, need any help? And they, they both laugh. So Dorothy's looking at everyone outside. Danny says, it's okay. He'll tell them Goodbye. And then he makes like a convertible appear in front of her trailer. And then Danny says, time for new adventure. And she's like, thank you, Danny. So I guess Casey knows how to drive because she gets in and she's like, where to? And Dorothy says, Cloverton. They do a fist bump. Then Danny makes a portal for them to to drive through. Maura watches Dorothy leave and kind of has like a, a, a smile. You know, she doesn't want her to go, but she knows that she has to. Then we see this guy, like, working on a comic. You know, he's, like, leaning over a desk. We see him from behind. Dr. Janice puts uh, the necklace, the purple necklace with Rita's emotions or whatever, on his drawing table. And she says, Immortus will rise. And then Torminox teleports in, puts down Dorothy's little necklace, and is like, I did what you asked. And the guy's like, good. So Torminox says that he needs to be the man that he was for Casey. And he's like, you're certain Immortus can help? then the guy gathers a two necklace oh yes when immortus rises our past will be cleansed we'll have everything we ever dreamed of and i assure you immortus will rise Torminac smiles and walks away we see the drawing of him as a human pushing young casey on a swing it's like on the edge of the table that's where it ends okay uh what's with this immortus stuff We'll, we'll we'll see but that was the end of the episode. So, like I said, you know, it was. It's weird because it wasn't. You know, there was no Doom Patrol, and it was a fine episode considering that I don't really care for Dorothy, but it it was it was it was good. So, um, I'm I'm down with seeing more of uh, space case. You know, she she seemed cool. So we'll we'll see. All right, then there is Spirited. So it's a holiday movie. So you can watch this. It, it's like I think my theater has it like one showing of it. It's still playing there, and it's on Apple TV Plus. So you can you can watch it there. It's a holiday movie. It's it's basically um, like the Scrooge. What's the Scrooge story? Is it um, Christmas Carol? Is is that what it, I think it is? Uh, you know, with the the ghosts of the past, future, past, present, and f- f- whatever. Pa- ghost of christmas past present and future right and uh it's a musical so it, it's weird because it's just you know mixture. at at some points okay so i'm getting ahead of myself so basically will farrell is like a spirit you know he's there's this whole organization that's in charge of haunting people to try to get to, to redeem them and will farrell is one of the characters, or one of character, one one of the, the ghosts, or whatever, and um, they they do this whole thing, you know, it it kind of starts off where you see them having their their whatever last thing, whatever, and once up the person is redeemed, then there's like this big song and dance and stuff like that. So it's like okay, that makes sense, you know, music and stuff like that. But then the the main part of the story as they're they're choosing the next. Um, person that who needs to be redeemed you know there there's this like hotel manager who's like just really horrible guy you know he yells at you know his, his employees or whatever and like there's one i don't know if it's a janitor he's like i never want to see you walking through the lobby no one should ever see you come through here and you know all stuff like that so they're saying how redeeming him you know could help you know so many people and all the people that you know, work for him and stuff like that but there's this other... Ryan Reynolds comes by, like, you know, talking, and, and supposedly he's, like, a lot worse. So Will Ferrell wants to redeem him, but uh, Will Ferrell's boss, Jacob Marley, is, is like, is like no, that's not a good idea. Because then what it comes down to is his file says, you know, Ryan Reynolds is irredeemable, that he can't be redeemed, that, that there's no point in... Uh, putting all the like resources into this because it, it you can't do it but will Farrell that kind of makes him really want to do it you know he he really wants to to try he feels like that that it's worth doing and everything that he can do this and he's been i guess there's been talk of him re- retiring for like 46 years but he keeps putting it off and everything so at one point he even like threatens that it's like well then maybe he will retire if he can't do this but he's so good at his job you know so um I think Jacob Martin, you know, he kind of wants to call his bluff or whatever, like that. And but then he, so he ends up taking the gig, or you know, he allows him to do this. So he's he's going to try to to redeem Ryan Reynolds, and we we find out more about Ryan Reynolds. And um, so he's he's kind of like a, a a social media guy, and you know, he he just really pushes things, you know, try to manipulate. Like he he's he's giving a presentation. It, it's basically like for Christmas trees and fake Christmas trees, you know, and all this. And then he starts doing like a kind of like a song and dance, which that was like, wait a minute, why would he be doing it? And he's not really doing; he can't really be doing the dance because at one point he kind of like changes from his outfit into like a white suit. It's like it can't just like magically change. So it's suspension, disbelief, like again, I guess. It, it just kind of goes from there. And then um, once he he finally like sees a ghost, he. It, things don't, of course, work, work according to plan, and he's not like super freaked out or anything about it. But you know, he's just this typical Ryan Reynolds—you know, charming, witty, you know, whatever—and um, it, it, I, I just, I, I found it really enjoyable. And and you know, as we see more about him, we see glimpses of his story, and then there's there's also a whole bit about Will Ferrell, like his whole backstory, and and I, I'm being purposely cagey about um a certain thing about will ferrell because i whether it's it's a obvious thing or not i don't know i don't know what information is out there or anything like that but there's a a pretty big reason as to why will ferrell wants to try to redeem ryan reynolds and and you know ryan reynolds kind of forces him you know he's like well you know why are you looking to my past whatever he's like what about you why are you doing this and and you know just kind of pushing that and and then we see some of will ferrell's past even though that's like off the script. So you're not supposed to do that and everything like that but it just kind of goes from there and then it also he uh sees or octavia spencer sees him at, at, at one point because she's she's working for ryan reynolds and so there's a part again. This is where I'm just kind of jumping all over the place. So Ryan Reynolds' sister died, and his niece, who um, you know, he's he's he pays for everything for her. She's like in eighth grade. He's like never really there for her because he's so busy with his job. But she comes to him with her her other uncle, and. She's because she's running for class president, and she was wondering if Ryan Reynolds could help her. Of course, he wants to take this a totally wrong way and you know, try to do some some manipulative kind of dark things that that um basically like dig up some dirt on her opponent. So he has Octavia Spencer do this. and then she's feeling bad about doing this and at one point you know she's like i'm I'm just a horrible person and will ferrell's like no you're not and then she's like well how would you know so somehow she can see him but it's like wait and then because will ferrell has been like a ghost or whatever for so long you know he hasn't had any human contact and then it's like he's kind of falling for octavia spencer and so you know you got this whole aspect and more layers to the characters and all this and uh as far as the music you know some of the songs are okay but there's one song that just had me cracking up which i'm may you could probably look it up but it's called good afternoon this whole thing and um yeah so it, it, it was good you know it's it's i'm not one for like the holiday you know christmas movies so much they're not really ones for like super cheesy stuff but it, it it brought it had you know smiles. I, I was smiling and even a, I may have had some tears at, at some point. Like you know laughing, whatever. I think Ryan Reynolds is hilarious. Will Ferrell, I'm I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan. You know I know, know a lot of people love Elf and everything. I it's not like like oh I I can't wait to watch Elf again. You know I I just. He, I I think he's funny and everything, but sometimes he's a bit too much when when he starts yelling and screaming or whatever. I, that's just pushing it too far. But he was good in this, and I I think the two of them were really good. And the singing, you know, it it wasn't like perfect, but I, I it was kind of good that it wasn't. That it was a little you know unpolished and all that. But uh, yeah, then some crazy things happened. The ending is not quite what you. Unless you're a you know predictive can you know predict anything, you're probably not going to necessarily see the ending. It's not the ending that you would think. Maybe you could think like, oh, maybe this will happen, but it's not what you would think would happen. So that that kind of threw me off. I was like, whoa, and then um and then it goes from there. So that was spirited. I like I said, I, I it's enjoyable. It's a holiday movie. I, I there's not a lot of modern good holiday stuff unless you go to like the Hallmark Channel or whatever. Or Netflix's are starting to do some. It seems like, but it I, I th- thought it was fun, so you should check it out. Okay, now it is time for the main feature: Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. I think I like this movie. Um, I which what what I wanted to do, what I should have done, I wanted to watch the first one again because I haven't seen it, and I'm trying to think. I may have only seen it once. Did I see it twice? I may have only seen it in the theater and i I did really enjoy it I, I thought it was you know really good and and just you know keep you guessing and all that this movie does that too you know it, it does keep you guessing there there are it is kind of like the the title there are many layers to the onion that you know as things get peeled away there's another layer another layer and there's like not necessarily twists and turns, but there's things that you don't quite see coming which is is good you know it's important i think for this movie and just uh, the whole aspect of the story and, and all that and it was never like too much it's like like absurd was like wait now you're saying this now this is happening and so i i think it, it worked out just just right to to, with, to see how everything happened and all that the only um the only possible issue I may have with the movie you know everyone's great in this you know we, we have a, a lot a lot of really good good actors here it was almost maybe a little too distracting that you know we got this like star-studded stellar cast and everything there and you know because again when every time like you see like Ed Norton I, I keep thinking uh, Fight Club you know because I, I love Fight Club so much and I, I keep getting pulled out even though you know he's in a different place from you know so many years has passed and all that and like you know Dave Batista he he's fine and, you know he was good in his his character you know whatever and you know then seeing Jessica Henwick and I was like oh man I miss Colleen Wing so it's just like all these little things it just was kind of distract and and uh uh Craig not Craig Sheffer uh, Daniel Craig you know the the accent I get you know that that's part of his character but sometimes it's it's a bit much I I don't know and and there were like a lot of just random cameos that it's like, were they really necessary? Like the biggest one is, is a Joseph Gordon-Levitt cameo that, you know, I, everyone's talking about it. You know, it, it, it's not that he, he is not an obvious one that he is, he is one that you would have to look up, but I don't know. So it starts off. So I'll just, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, but it starts off. It's May 13th, 2020, 2020. Um, it's in the middle of pandemic, which is interesting because we, we don't, get a whole lot of movies that actually address a pandemic. And uh, cuz like we see uh Katherine Hahn, she she's this character Claire, she gets this big package. Um she's uh, the Connecticut governor. She's about to do like a CNN Zoom inter- Zoom interview so it just takes you back to those days you know she's she's got her like her bookshelves you know set up there and you know the kids are kind of running around and the husband's like in the kitchen you know looking at what's this big box and she's doing this interview whatever and cuz you know now she's she's running for senate so she's like you know in the middle of a campaign and everything like that um the husband opens a package and there's a note that says it's from miles so it's like wait who's miles so then we see like other people talk about uh, Miles Braun. So does this guy, Lionel, um, played by Leslie Odom Jr. He's like this this big time scientist dude, you know, he's he's talking to some other people, they're doing like some energy, whatever testing, stuff like that. Um, he talks about like getting faxes in the middle of the night from from uh, Miles you know he's this this apparently this genius with big ideas, or whatever. Then uh we see there's just big parties. Birdie J, Kate Hudson, she's having this huge, huge party. Which is like, you can't do that in the in the pandemic. She gets a big box too. Uh Jessica Henwick is Peg, her assistant. And um you know, she she's like she won't give Birdie, she won't give Kate Hudson her phone because apparently she tweeted like an ethnic slur. So, you know, she might do it again and stuff like that. So she's trying to like keep her you know, monitoring all that. So Claire calls Lionel about the package and he says it's a Miles invitation. So it's it's you know, it looks like it's a big block of wood. Then Peg calls in, so they, they figure that, you know, Lionel can use the science brain to figure out how to open it, whatever. And then Lionel he hears in background. <laughs> he goes to, like Kate Hudson, the the birdie. He's like, Are you having a party? And she's like, Oh, it's okay. They're all in my pod, so it's fine. And that just made me think when I was teaching, you know, all these kids like hanging out together because supposedly they're in pods. It's like, no, you're not. (laughs) Whatever. Then we see Duke Cody, Dave Bautista. He's doing like this video. And in the background, you see like these cars and like, you know, like bike, skateboard, surfboards, whatever. And then he starts talking about boobs. He's like, no, I don't hate boobs. He's like, they have lots of uses, whatever. And like his girlfriend, Whiskey, who's played by my Madeline Klein, she pops in. She's like, I love mine, whatever, and stuff like that. And so he's he's talking about the the breastification of America, and so he's he's like a, a like a what is he? He's like a male feminist, male ma, male of I don't even know what you call him, but as he's he's doing this, then his mom starts yelling at him. So he goes, he's like, "Mom, it's like how many time I tell you, you know, when I when I'm live with whiskey, whatever." He's like, "Yeah, I need you to shut up, whatever." And she like slaps him. She's like, "Don't tell your mother to, to shut up," and then she's like, "You have a delivery in the kitchen," so Duke calls in and he says that his mom did something and broke it and it opened she's like it's a stereogram and he's like ma and lionel he's like oh, what and so he he does a thing with his finger it's it's kind of like a magic eye whatever and he like you know centers it looks the stare cross goes cross eye, whatever and there's like this arrow that kind of appears and he like follows it there's a button he pushes it it opens up and it's it's a stereogram whatever so then you you see there's like these other puzzles like these red and blue pegs or whatever so claire moves the color whatever this other panel opens there's like tic-tac-toe but it's solved already and peg then pegs like oh it's like morse code you know the x's and o's are dots and dashes whatever so they type there's like an actual like morse code like little beep 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 thing so they, they do that this other panel opens up and and then, then there's like a, a puzzle with like tiles whatever it's like letter N but nothing happens and Duke's mom's like it's a compass and Duke's like ma and Lionel's like it's a compass he's like turn it to north and then this music box opens, starts playing and Bertie's like I'm gonna Shazam it she's like Alexa Shazam this whatever uh, this dude at her party it's actually Yo-Yo Ma he's like oh that's Box you know Little little Fugue in G minor and he, he talks about how it's it's a beautiful musical puzzle you know based off of one tune but when you layer the tune on top of itself it starts to change and turns into this beautiful new structure whatever so then you know Lionel pulls uh, the center wheel and it starts spinning so then there's like more new tunes and puzzles and and all this stuff like that and Duke smiles like the first one is a Fibonacci sequence bah! <laughs> so his mom's like really smart so there's loads more things happen whatever and then we hit the, like the last lever the box closes then reopens and there's kind of like this like egg i guess this to probably be an onion shape or whatever then it opens up there's a, a note in inside and it says my dear friends my beautiful disruptors my closest inner circle we could all use a moment of normalcy And so you are cordially invited for a long weekend on my private island where we will all celebrate the bonds that connect us. And I hope your puzzle-solving skills are wedded. So they're going to be also be competing to solve the mystery of his murder. And then we see this, this other woman. She got a box too. And then she like leaves she's like in a garage or something like that. Then she comes back with like goggles and a hammer. She just starts pounding on it. And then she's she's gets a card out. So then we see Benoit Blanc. He's I think he's playing Among Us. Uh he's like in a bath and then he, he's he's playing with a uh, Steve S- Sodenheim, Natasha Leon, I think that's how you say it, Angela Lansbury, and Kareem Abdul Jabbar. So again, more cameos and whatever. So he like lost some games. He's talking about you know games aren't maybe are his aren't his thing. But he's saying how he kind of loses it between cases and he thinks he might be going insane. There's someone knocking on a door. Um, so Philip uh, Hugh Grant answers it. Whatever he and he says that there's someone there with with the box. And that's like the first like 13 minutes, and then we get the opening credits. So then. They're like kind of waiting on a doctor, all wearing masks. Birdie comes in not wearing a mask because you know, of course, she's not gonna you know wear a mask. She probably doesn't believe it. They're kind of surprised to see Blanc when they, they kind of recognize him because they all know each other. Um, Duke and Whiskey pull up. They're not wearing masks either, which makes sense. You know, with their kind of attitude and all that. So apparently they're in Greece now, and it's you know they're told it's gonna be like a two hour journey on a boat. This dude um, has this, like the little thing starts. So it's actually um, Ethan Hawke which I, I didn't re- recognize him at first. So I didn't really think about it. He like shoots something in her throat. And it's like, Clack! and then he's, he tells him like, he tells Blanc, he won't need his mask anymore. He's like, what is that? Whatever. He's like, you're good. So you won't tell him what it's probably like some cure for, for COVID. But you know, because uh, Miles is rich, that's why he has the cure, but no one else does and whatever. So they're about they start boarding and this last taxi arrives and it's the Hammer Woman and so they all stare at her they're like surprised so this is Andy Brand, um, played by Janelle Monet, and they're like surprised to see her there so they know her and she's like the last person that they would expect to be there like Lionel tells um, Blanc that they were together ten years ago and then then uh, Miles kind of cut her out whatever and then um, so Lionel's like just really surprised that she shows up so did they get to like the island miles is playing is played by ed norton he's playing blackbird on the guitar and when uh birdie comes up and he's he's like oh this is this is a guitar that paul actually wrote it on and then when he sees the other he just like drops the guitar he's like doesn't care he goes to greet them and it just just goes from there so you know they they're all there um it turns out he kind of takes blanc to the side later um Oh, the reason it's called glass onion because he has, you know, he has this huge compound on this island, and at top, you know, there's like all this glass structure. There's there's literally like this glass building, and it's like a glass onion at the top or whatever. So that's like his office up there. And he asks Blanc, he's like, "What are you doing here?" Uh, because he, he, you know, he's this famous guy, he recognized him. He's like, I got the invitation, and he's like, "What are you talking about?" And he like, he's like, "Do you have it on you?" He's like, "Yeah." He shows him. He's like, "Yeah, that that's it, and everything like that." He's like, "You got the puzzle box?" He's like, "Yeah." He's like, "But my guys barely had time to make. You know, there's only five of them. They barely had time to make it and everything, and so it's like, wait, how did he get there, and 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 so forth. So it kind of goes from there. Miles, you know, he's supposed to have this this murder mystery plan for them. But obviously things are, are gonna take a turn. You know, it, it's not gonna be what you expect. And and I really don't wanna spoil anything more, like the the heart of it, like what's going on. But um, it, it is interesting because I, I feel like the the approach to telling of the story and the way things are being laid out, I could be wrong, but I feel it's like a little different than Knives Out. And like like I said, you know, I maybe mean, I just need to need to watch that again. But I, I kind of like the approach where, you know, there there's like stuff that happens and then it kind of like backtracks a little bit. You're like, oh wait, this character knew about this, but we had no clue. We literally like no clue. We had no idea about this. But they're just kind of playing it off, and then you kind of see like well how this is leading up to this. So it's kind of cool how it, it backtracks a little bit, and then you know you see how this was established and what this means, and and so forth from there. So. I think in that aspect that it doesn't necessarily feel like your traditional mystery, you know, like murder mystery type of thing that there's like other motives and stuff going on there. And when it comes out to it, it's like, well, wait, does does someone really want to kill Miles? You know, he's he's talking about this murder mystery that he set up for himself. But it's like, wait, maybe someone is going to try to kill him because, you know, he's has all this power. He's done some questionable things so maybe there's something else going on and and then I don't want to give any more away so I, I think that's all I'm gonna say about it uh, it the movie is is like it's it's two hours and like I think 19 minutes and so it it doesn't feel too long but it it's a good length it, it gives you enough time to really like flesh everything out and and see how how it all plays out. So I I felt like it was it was just like the perfect timing and all that. So it is it is a good movie. It's um I kind of would have liked to have seen it in the theater and I, I wish I would have had that chance. It, it's weird that it's not playing in the theater, but Netflix you know bought the rights to it and you know because I'm sure this is big for them. I think they end up making like 15 million from the one week they could have and that's the thing they they could have made more money. You know it they only allowed it to play for one week and it was like limited theaters you know i I, i'm just i'm shocked that my theater didn't play it because they they usually do these limited things as well because they have so many screens but it just didn't happen you know for whatever reason and uh you know they could have made more money but again if this is what's making people oh i need to renew my subscription to netflix so i can watch this movie you know then they get that money off it i don't know but it it is worth checking out and it, it, it is good i just i feel like even though all the actors were great, I, I f- almost feel like it was too distracting. But maybe that's just me nitpicking, I guess. So I don't know. But that is going to be it. So we'll check out the movie and check out everything else. Um, it, it's it's It was all good this week. So again, big thanks to David McPhail and Andrew Loken for being my heroes. Uh, you can be a, a supporter of the show by going to patreon.com slash heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome, even if it's a dollar a month. But if you go to the uh, Rick um, Rick Jones, I almost said Rick James, Rick Jones here or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. So you can hear more. You want more movies? Like the stuff, you know, I talked about, I, I did Pearl, um, I did Avatar again, revisiting stuff that I, I wouldn't have talked about on, on here. And this week I'm going to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies, um, it's it's not like a literary or like an epic classic thing. It's just a movie that I just really enjoy, and it's and no, it's not Back to the Future. Uh, so I, you can hear that. And this one, I think this week is gonna be closer to an hour long. So if you need more podcast entertainment, and if you want to help out, you can do that. You know, for like the price of a cup of coffee, you know, or, or latte or whatever, you can help out this show. It'd be greatly appreciated. Um, you know, if you want to sh- show your, your love for, for the show, I, I, I would be great. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by, by going to coffee.com slash G man from heck. And you can buy me a virtual cup, a coffee, which is cheaper than a latte. You can buy me a virtual cup or three. And that is K O ko-fi.com slash G man from heck. So what is going to be next week? Um, that that's obviously that that's a good question there is going to be um that movie uh i think it's called white noise i think that's that's the movie with adam driver so that comes out on friday the 30th and um actually but but again i don't know if i'm going to see that maybe that might be the next week because i don't know if there's anything the following friday yeah so may i might push that off I think Megan comes out next uh, the Friday after that, but I might go see Babylon. Um, I don't know if, if that's really a podcast movie, quote unquote podcast movie, but we'll we'll, we'll see uh, how this goes. And then you know there'll be more National Treasure, more Doom Patrol, more uh, His Dark Material. I'll try to do like another two episodes. I, I know I'm behind, and it might be like almost the season's over, maybe. But uh, I two doing two episodes. That's, that's all I can do right now. It's just you know trying to trying to keep up with it and everything. But I hope you are doing well. Um, again, depending on what what you celebrate, I hope you're having a good time. Hope you're getting time off of work. Hope you're spending time with friends or family, loved ones, or you know, just having time for yourself, doing something. So just make sure you know take care of yourself, take care of others, and just try to remember be good to each other.